Welcome to the MMA Roadshow, episode number 194. And I gotta say, 194 might be just my new favorite episode, and we're just getting started. My name is John Morgan. My man Cole Coffee is in the building, but he is deep in the edit right now. He will join us a little bit later right now as he finishes up some of his video responsibilities. Instead, I got my man here, Dan Tom, native Hawaiian, right? No better place to to, to be than in your old school backyard right here. We are in Honolulu, Hawaii. We're sitting in my hotel room right now. The door is open. It is December 13th, and it is 76 degrees out there. You know what I got to say to that, John? Let's hear it. Oh, yeah. Just popping open frosty beverages, sitting down for the MMA Roadshow. This is beautiful, man. I mean, we uh, I, 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 I sent a picture out earlier this week. I don't quite have the ocean view, but I got a little little jungle canopy view right here. And if you peek through the trees a little bit, you can see the ocean. But uh, nevertheless, I will not complain because it is gorgeous out here. Um, the flip side of this, if I hadn't been here, would have been in Milwaukee, which is uh, freezing cold. No disrespect to Milwaukee. It's a, it's a fine place that makes fine frosty beverages. But I am happy to be here for uh, dual Bellator events, Bellator 212, Bellator 213. And uh, how you feeling, man? It's the return of big-time MMA 10 years away. Finally got big-time MMA back in Hawaii. It, we do, man, and we're we're actually here for it. I mean, it's safe to say. Uh, I didn't. We didn't know each other at the time, but right. I was touring in a van in the United States and some type of band or some sort, kind of casually following the sport. I actually wasn't uh, in my my stomping grounds here at home in Hawaii, to be honest, during that time. Really? And, and I take it you were you were obviously an avid fan. Oh then, yeah. But, but yeah. But uh, obviously was, not covering those events at that time. We weren't traveling back then, so I didn't get to come out here. Okay. Um, yeah. At that point, you know, I hadn't quite made it to Vegas. I don't think we ever really traveled that much for show XC events, which I think we're. The ones that came out here were the smaller ones. I think mostly were the show exceeds. Um, we didn't we didn't travel out here that much. I think we really started traveling big time when USA Today bought us in like uh, 2011. Okay. Uh, I think 2010, 2011 is when we really hit the road and we're going to travel to like everything. So yeah, never was covering it on TV. You know, was, yeah, was covering yeah. It, but yeah, I have not been uh, to Hawaii since uh, I was I was seven <laughs> years old. I sent out a picture earlier this week. Right. Some people got a kick out of that, man. Yeah, I've, I've been here one time when I was seven years old, and uh, it's good to be back, man. And I'm I'm excited for this weekend. Shoot, that was 1985. That photo was dated, folks. So you could see a young Dan Tom being birthed in the background of that photo. Fun, 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 fun fact. <laughs> 33 years ago, man. Where does the time go? All right, we'll get to Bellator uh, in just a second. I did want to just throw out real quick. Didn't get to do an, an and a half episode last week mm. because it was like 5:30 in the morning by the time I finished. Uh, working. Don't want to spend a lot of time on it because it's been, you know, quite a few days since then. But I did just have to say, masterful performance by Max Holloway in the main event up there in Toronto. Um, you know, I was working in the back all night. I was, I was, uh, I was the uh, the video guy last week. Mike Bond was was working out front. Um, but once we, you know, we were doing the scrums in the backstage area, and then we we moved our cameras to the uh, the press conference riser and kind of reset everything. And once I got everything in place and all my equipment was in uh, was secure. Um, I watched the first two rounds on the monitor, and then I was a actually able to, to run out uh, for rounds three and rounds four, which, which was great because uh, the UFC held me a seat up there. And, and really to to soak it in, man, just to soak in the atmosphere. I, you know, I was thrilled about that fight going in. I'm a, I'm a huge fan of both those guys, and I really think they're incredibly high-level fighters. And and uh, But I really just wanted to get out there and get a feel for the crowd and the energy. And I got to say, you know, I, I know that, that fight wasn't necessarily getting the love that I think I, I thought it deserved in terms of 
really being like two of the best in the sport, like two pound for pound guys right now. Um, but it had big energy, man. And you know that, that, that third round was oh, when yeah. Brian Ortega started mounting a comeback. It was a brief comeback, right. but the, the tide started turning. Then Holloway, of course, turned it back on in the fourth. But um, man, I, you know, I, I don't know how it translated on TV, but it, to me, in that building, I was happy to see it had a real big time feel. It did to us too, and and again, I I don't want to you know get too much in the minutiae or the the uh, you know the, the arguments so to speak if you want to call them that 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 came after it, but I think we can all agree that it was one of those insp- uh, performances that inspired that kind of talk, right? Yeah. And, and speaking of translating, you actually answered my question. I was going to actually ask you how that third round translated because Ooh. that was one of the contentious uh, points of of uh, how people were seeing it, the way the commentary was calling. It. Obviously, you're not privy to yeah, the I didn't commentary. Yeah, the commentary. Call. No, was it? I, I did hear. Well, there was some criticism afterwards that people thought it was really one sided commentary. Was that right? Yeah, and and also it came off the tails of uh, Shevchenko and Jacek, which also received that 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 uh, criticism where you know most people including myself, scored at five rounds nil. Right. Uh, Shevchenko, there was a kind of an inactive round that if you really wanted to be kind, maybe. I don't know. I think in the back, as we were kind of scoring it back there, we had it 4-1. Okay, but, yeah. yeah. But that I, was, wouldn't, that was... I wouldn't hate 5-0. But, but I think it was the way it was called. And I just will say something as a defense, and I, I want to get your side on this, because uh, this is what it comes down to for me. Now, we can you know we can pick at a commentator or a, a, a fight or a, or a card in this case all we want, and there's a lot of examples of these, but it's something that I think we actually deal with kind of, though we're not calling, and you've called fights before, actually, right. John, so you can speak on this more. But there's this thing where when you're previewing the fight, and at least for me, I have to break down fights. I have to try sure. to be unbiased. I have to try to come with the facts as correct as I can. And if you come off and you know come biased on one way, people will call you out on, out on that, and rightfully so. But I will argue, when you're previewing an event, uh, you do have to be fair to, to, to both. You have to state the facts. Even if it's an odd smash match, you can't just go in there and be like, yeah, this person's probably just going to smash that person. Right. That's not much of a preview, you know right. what I'm saying? And I think the commentators, they're put in this kind of funny position whether they cut to them to kill time. They kind of go into preview mode, but then they have to turn right around and be critical and analytical. And I think... Th- in their defense, I think that those roles get crossed a bit. It can get a little tough, you know, and kind of what kind of information you're giving, and not realizing that maybe it does seem incredibly one-sided. You know, uh, it's it's a tough job. I know everybody thinks they can do it. It's been a long time since so I do it. Maybe doing it again very soon. I'll throw a little teaser out mm. there and work work right, on some things right. behind the scenes. But maybe getting back to that in 2019, which I'm excited about. Um, but it, it is it is a tougher job, and I think most people realize. And and I think too. Not, you know, I think what happens sometimes is, you know, you see tendencies in a fight that you didn't expect to see, or, you know, maybe people are fighting a different way than what you thought you would, and maybe you give too much credit to that or too little credit to another thing. And I, I think that can definitely be a danger. But, uh, but anyway, you yeah, know, all yeah, that aside, yeah, 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 amazing performance by, by Max Holloway. I, I was very, very impressed. Uh, I, I was kind of interested to see, you know, obviously your, your partner at MMA Junkie Radio, uh, Gorgeous George, he kind of handles our, he's the, he's the rankings head. He kind of, throws out all the, uh, the, the the recommendations, and then myself and the other editors, we kind of review them, and we say, well, no, let's tweak this. I, I don't like this. Let's do that. Um, but we ultimately left Ortega at number two, and, and okay. I thought that was I thought that was fair, you know, to be honest with you. I mean, I know it was a – I hate – it was a fairly one-sided performance. I mean, as gutsy as Brian Ortega was, it was fairly one-sided, um, and we ended up leaving him at number two. And, and honestly, I, I feel comfortable with that, you know, and I think these guys are, are, are going to fight again. Um you know, it's interesting. I, I, I did hear, and I, I almost hesitate to even say anything right now because I, I don't know that he would even want it out there. But I, I was told from some people behind the scenes um, that Ortega was sick all week long and was dealing with some issues. Like, wow. Yeah. So, uh, but I, I don't want to make excuse. And, and I, I'm not going to lie. I'm a yeah. T-City homer, dude. I love, I love yeah, Ortega. Yeah. But I don't want to take away from Holloway because I don't, I, you know, even if he was, dude, Holloway to me just looked on point. 
Um, but you, you hate to think that if there was something ailing Ortega that it was that week, that night. You yeah. know, that's how. But you know, then again, you know, if it's if it's if something pops off in the street, nobody cares if you're, uh, you know, yeah. Bro, I, I would go at you tonight, but I'm a little under the weather, you know? Well, one thing's for sure, though. It, even if he was sick, it just makes it that much more uh, impressive and that much more of a harder out if I'm a fighter that has to sign the contract to fight that guy. You know you're not getting an easy night. I don't care how high-ranked you are. No, no doubt about it. Um, you know, I, I, I was, like I said, working in the back all night. There were some kind of uh, some funny moments back, back behind the scenes. Of course, we, we put out all the content, put out all the scrums, that sort of thing, but... There was a moment that had to be shared because I don't know how it happened, and I'm going to have to get him to clarify this at some point, but at some point in the night, uh, Diego Fajera comes back to do his post-fight interview, and he sits down, and right before we get started, he looks on the ground, he says, can you hand me my cup? And I thought maybe he meant like a glass of water right. or, or something along those lines, but no, his... His cup was on the <laughs> ground, and Oscar uh, from the Mac Life, our, our good friend Oscar from the Mac Life, uh, was a man about it and just reached down and picked up the cup and handed it to him. So, uh, props to Oscar for not being, you know, ooh, it's a, it's a cup. I'll give him, I'll give him credit there. Um, I don't know if it was the game used cup or maybe a uh, maybe a backup cup that just happened to fall out of a bag. I I, I don't know how it got there. Um, but but I, I I just wanted to give props to Oscar yeah. from the Mac Life for being willing to just throw down and grab a cup and and uh, you know like like a, like a real man. Especially if the Hego Fiera inserts his cup the way I and many other gentlemen do, <laughs> then massive props to Oscar in that case. Oh man, too good. They're, I mean, they're like buddies now. I guess you know what I mean. Like you're you're good for you're good for that's like your best friend now. I mean, I think that's that's how it works out. It was funny too. You know, all all week long I um. I'm not gonna lie. I was wearing shorts. I do. Savage. It's I know not, you were gonna go through with it. You did. You did. I did. You know, I'm, I'm gonna wear shorts. And I'll be honest with you. I I probably have pants, but I, you know, it's kind of a. Jo I don't really know if I own <laughs> pants anymore. To be honest, I'm not sure. So, uh, you know, it wasn't. It wasn't necessarily a conscious decision as much as just habit. And in fairness, I was only outside of buildings for a total of about like seven minutes the entire week. Because you know, you're just going. You're yeah. jumping out of a car, going into here. You're jumping out of a car, going there. Um, so it, you know, but I w won't lie. I was freezing cold those 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 seven minutes oh, man. that I was I was freezing. But it worked out in the end because the post fight press conference. You know, we were working in the back, kind of a small room, and 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 it was okay when it was just the, the videographers and the writers back there. But then all the people that were at press row came back as well uh, at post fight because obviously there's nothing out there. And on top of that, they th there were these huge overhead lights to light up the the press conference stage. They threw those on. And it got so hot in there. I mean, like to the point you're literally just wiping sweat off your brow. Oh, wow. So hot in there. And it's funny because Neil Davidson from the Canadian Press, who's a great guy, um, used to see a lot more of him, used to travel a lot more. But he's, he's uh, like all of us, his travel budget has been cut as well. So he stays home a lot more. But he's a good dude. And he uh, he turns to me and he's like, Turns out you were right to wear the shorts. Because, you know, everybody's in there sweating their ass off. <laughs> and I was wearing shorts. And I was like, Yeah. All week long, you guys all made fun of me. But who's crazy like a fox now? Almost opposite of today, huh? Uh, the, the the press conference room today. Freezing in there today. <laughs> yeah. God, it was super cold. Alima Lay McFarland just shivering up there. Um, one last note from last week. Yeah. Uh, I did see the – and I'm sure you probably saw it too. I didn't catch it the first time, but then somebody showed it to me um, that they, they kind of teased like a like for December 29th, and it was like a, it was like a real kind of mysterious yes. promo. Yeah. Um, 
it is a new championship belt. There's new championship belts coming. Um, so I think I'm, I'm, I'm expecting an announcement, but I, I was, I've heard behind the scenes that, yes, new UFC belts are coming. A redesign of the UFC belt is coming, and I'm assuming since they put 1229 on it that that's when they're going to roll it out uh, is, is going to be on December 29th. So we get an update of the UFC belt. Now, what I'm curious to see is, like, if you look at it, so knowing that, knowing right. what it is, knowing it's a UFC belt, knowing it's a new UFC belt, and not new in that, like, there's going to be one. I think my understanding is, all the belts will be updated, basically. Cool. You know, it's not, so not like this is some like intercontinental or universal right, title right, or something yeah, like that. Yeah. Um, but you notice there were like flags on it, uh-huh. and that's the interesting part. That's that's the part that I, that I'm not so sure about. My, my guess is, uh, well, I got two guesses. Okay. I got two guesses. Right. One is, but see, I think this would be too, they'd have to make them too many times. Either one, it's going to have the like all the countries of the champions. You know what I mean, right. like, like, but then the, I guess you'd have to make them over and over all the time. My other guess is that uh, it would represent like the champions of that weight class. Like, if you have the flyweight belt, um, I guess the flyweight belt would basically just have an American flag and an American flag on it. You know what I mean? Like I gotcha. one one representing Mighty Mouse and one representing Henry Cejudo. But that, like, you know, the welterweight would have the Canadian for GSP, and you know what I mean? Yeah, that it would yeah, move around yeah. like that. So. That's that's my guess. It's okay. something along those lines. But I do know they're rolling out a new championship belt, which is which is cool. All right. Because oh, when I saw that, I thought for for one, I, I was with everybody else, and I thought, oh, are they are they hinting at a matchup, and you're trying to decode which flags mean what, uh, um, you know. And I saw some people throwing was the Canadian flag, maybe Brock Lesnar, because he represents Canada. And you, wow. then they started getting off the hand, right? With I with, with, with tinfoil theories, Canada. yeah, right, so, <laughs> right. So yeah, I know it's so random. So they the, started getting a bit out of hand. But you, uh, more along the lines of your thoughts, what I thought, uh, John, is like. Kind of like when you look at Tapology, the record it shows the, the record of the guy at the time right. and who they were at the time. Right. Uh, it almost, I wonder if that's what they're gonna do because you know if the, you get a, a new belt each time or and then depending on what champion you ask, yeah. you know it's a little different story there. <laughs> know, but maybe you know if you're American and you beat a Canadian or the Canadian was a sitting oh. champ, it represents that. So it shows a lineage of it shows a lineage of uh, uh, of crossover and path, yeah. and a little history, a little personalization. That'd be cool too. That'd be cool too. Yeah. I'm anxious to see. It. I guess yeah. I'm guessing they'll make. Uh, I guess they'll make an announcement on Fight Week. Just if, if you're looking ahead to UFC 232, if you're looking ahead mm-hmm. to it, uh, my understanding is because obviously it's the week of Christmas and that kind of messes with things. But my understanding of, of what they're going to do that week is um, Fight Week activities basically won't start till Thursday, so it's going to be a short week of media. Um, because they don't want to start it, they don't want to start it the day after Christmas because they want to give people time to travel and time to get mm-hmm. in all that. So, really, it sounds like all the media stuff is going to be on Thursday, and then of course, weigh-ins Friday, fight Saturday. Whoa. So, wow. uh, yeah. it's going to be a very, very compact fight week. Uh, I'm sure they'll have like some media tours and stuff next week to kind of line those out. But yeah, uh, yeah. anyway, uh, I, w- w- I said that was my last note. Let me give you one other all last right, note. No, hit me, hit me. I sit next to the. <sighs> <laughs> All right, I don't want to. I don't want to crit. I don't want to say the craziest guy. I don't want to say that. Oh. Uh, but I took a picture, and it is on my Instagram as well. Which, by the way, I'm, I'm thinking. I, I don't know. Like, I think I'm gonna like switch to Instagram. It seems like more people are using Instagram these days than Twitter. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. I took a picture, and it was, uh, and it was a guy sitting next to me on the window seat with an, an animal in his lap with two very big pointy ears, and it looked like a big dog, basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, and when I took the picture, people thought it was a, a real dog. They asked me what kind of dog it was. Not kind of, but it, it wasn't actually a real dog. It was a stuffed animal. It was, it was a stuffed animal. And okay, I mean, it, it, it's, a, it's a grown man with a stuffed animal, but could be a, could be a gift. You know right, what I mean? Yeah, could yeah. be a, 
something for someone else. Uh, or maybe it's just carrying it. But no, not only was it definitely clearly not anybody else's, but I'm pretty sure it was an emotional support stuffed animal. So it wasn't like Bruce Willis and Die Hard bringing the big bear for his daughter. No, that's, the, <laughs> the guy was like the guy was like talking to it Jeez. and like and like rubbing the chin and petting it and kind of giving it a little squeeze, oh, a little geez. little rub up against it on the way out. So it was um, it was it was weird. I, I I actually it was funny. My mom asked me about it. She's like, "What was that about?" She's like, "What was talking to him like?" I'm like, "Talking to him." I put my headphones on quick. Like I don't want to get in a conversation get with the in. guy with the emotional support <laughs> oh, stuffed no. animal. So <laughs> be on the lookout for that. Apparently, every now and then, in travels between Toronto and Chicago, or at least that day he did. So bizarre. No, I love those travel stories, man, and, and I won't get into it here, but I, I had a couple myself that are really reminiscent that uh, listeners of this podcast can appreciate. I'm sure they have their own stories, too, uh, to know you're not just embellishing these things. These are just funny stories from the road, man. I mean, the, the, the way we police, uh, em, empl- the, whether the employees in the air or the people, like you noted, that fly in the air. It's, yep. it's, it's, a, it's a funny scene. It's crazy, man. It was uh it was it was unique. I'll say that. All right, uh, all right. Well, listen. Enough enough about Toronto. Enough about all that. Uh, let's talk about uh, Hawaii. Mm. It is cool to see Bellator back here. It's cool to see, or, or here, I should say, bringing MMA back here. I mean, it's been starred for a long time, man. You think of BJ Penn announcing uh, and begging, you know, to, to bring the UFC back. Of course, Max Holloway, as of late, has been saying, uh, you know, let's let's get the UFC to uh, to Hawaii and. I gotta think, man, on that role that he's on right now, man. You know, maybe they wanna, maybe they wanna get things going and, and, and get out of here. But uh, give me an idea what it means to the community. I mean, I know you live in Vegas now, but you still have some roots here. Uh, this is, it seems to me, a, a very fight-friendly community. And 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 you know, for if you're a newer li- uh, listener, a newer fan of the sport, I mean, you might not realize there's. Old school roots here, you know. Yeah. You, you, you had Rumble on the Rock way back in the day. You had uh, Super Brawl yep. way back in the day. I saw uh, T.J. Thompson was actually walking around the other day. He's the, the old promoter. Uh, he was actually there in, in the building. I think he actually talked to Gareth A. Davies for quite some time to kind of give him a history of it. But um, granted, we've only been here a couple of days, and of course we've been in hotels more or less. But man, the community we've met and the people that we've seen, uh, this is a this is a fight fight community. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we're, you, you said it. We're going to, I think, hear a lot of that Rumble on the Rock, Super Brawl, Show XC, uh, all these things. A lot of us hardcore is uh, reminiscent. Or even if you weren't watching at the time, you know you've looked at guys' records, whether it was uh, a, a BJ Penn or even Roger Huerta. Uh, you'd be surprised the guys have roots. The guys that have roots out here in Hawaii, right. uh, you know, dating back to guys like Tim Sylvia or uh, Vitor, uh, you know, the, the Super Brawl shows. Um, there's obviously that there for MMA, and it's huge for all those reasons that we can get into that. But one thing I thought was really cool and I was talking to Rich Chu about this uh, a bit after the presser today about the history of, of combat and you know it, it, it sounds really uh, um, kind of you know contrite like oh it's fighting is a part of our culture and you hear that with Hawaiians say that but you also hear that with uh, what is the other hotbed uh, uh, there's many hotbed you know uh, of fighters uh, of culturally and from different parts of the world but obviously Dagestan is one of them yeah, and definitely. what's the history there that we, we've learned with the rise of Khabib Nurmagomedov the battle. history of war battle and, and war. battle yep. and what that makes and you know um Kind of like uh, Gareth A. Davies pointed out about the Hawaiian flag, uh, how it has the, the British flag on there for people that don't know. Um, it was under a bit of that rule, and we, we, Hawaii even became a, a state. It's the 50th state, and you know it, it, it didn't happen in the most kindest ways, guys. I mean, our, our queen was held at gunpoint and forced to sign a treaty while her people were being slaughtered. This wasn't that long ago. Um, so there's this really—I'm not gonna lie—I yeah, didn't know that. No, I mean, so there's this really—that was know, to bring it into statehood. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. They, they actually made a, a movie about it that was actually somewhat... It didn't pull too many punches. Uh, it didn't make it, make it very big, but I think it's called. Uh, it, was, it was about our queen. I forget what they named it to the title. Right. But but yeah, uh, it's worth a check out there. The American made film made in the last ten years or so. U.S. made, but you know it, the, the point is there's there's there was a lot there's a lot of battle. You know, inner island battles. I mean. Hawaii is just a big mixing bowl. You have, if you go to the restaurants out here, they're all mixed for a reason. We have Koreans, Chinese, Polynesian, and as beautiful as that is, and the great to have all those availabilities of food, you don't mix in cultures without some his- historical. People uh, just all pat each other on the back. Yeah, and they say, don't. Nice hey, welcome. You, hey, po- you can post up right here. Sure, why not? Uh, so you know, it, it is there. There is this other kind of deep cultural history, and, and yeah, even like I was talking with Rich, like the, the traditional martial arts background too. You got Ed Parker in the Hawaiian Kempo series, and how that uh, spawned to guys like. John Hackleman, and we know what John Hackleman ended up contributing to the sport right. through his lineage. So there's all these weird connections and these old school, even like before MMA, traditional martial arts guys. Uh, so some of my uncles took part in it. Andrew Lum and the Kung Fu scene, and see some of these other names. They would go down to the actual harbors where the American sailors were, and this and that, and that's how they would test out their martial arts and and, and whatnot too. A lot of the times, um, I mean, so it, it's crazy. Even within the quote unquote traditional martial arts, it, it was a bit more combative and violent let's say so yeah all, all these historical pinpoints um a bit of a long answer there but yeah it, it all kind of it all kind of boils over into why we have a fighting culture why it's not so crazy we have a, from a bj penn to a, an alima lane mcfarland right it's it's uh i you know it's funny so you mentioned alima lane mcfarland i guess we'll just get into it. i mean there's there's two cards and you can kind of talk about it it's, it's almost like it's one event together the way we're kind of treating everything this week i yeah. mean uh and, and 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 when you combine the two they're they're really really good and of course uh, valerie letourneau is the challenger uh, for the women's flyweight title against champ alima lane mcfarland that wraps up saturday night bell toward 213 mm-hmm. um and we when we were doing the media day which was outside Side, which was beautiful, the open workouts and everything, getting it to go outside and enjoy the, the scenery and the weather. But uh, it, it was funny because, you know, she had some comments because I just asked her, you know, what's a, you know, what's a Hawaiian fight culture going to be like? What's, I mean, what's the, what's the atmosphere going to be like? What's the crowd going to be like? And, you know, I think she was being a little bit tongue in cheek, but also very seriously, you know, she said, listen, the, the main thing is I'm just hoping that everybody, you know, keeps it together uh, that she's and she joked about her own friends that you know my pre-party starts at noon. I think her fights around like six or something like that. She's like, hopefully people aren't too drunk. Yeah. And she said, you know, she said, listen, people like to fight, you know, and and not only people like their fighters, but they like to fight. And I had heard this coming in, um, and maybe you can speak to this a little bit. I had heard that there are some inter-Hawaiian matchups on this card, you know, the prelims especially. And that's what Bellator always does. They book local talent on their prelims. Um, but I had heard that there were some inter-Hawaiian matchups where. It could get a little bit dicey, you know, in terms of, uh, of the tension and the rivalry, and we saw it uh, today with the with the face-offs. Uh, I know it. Dung and, and Kona Oliveira, uh, a 19-year-old kid and a 20-year-old kid, which is awesome to see these yes. young guys getting this opportunity. Um, but man, they were going at me. First, it started with a little bit of a little bit of jabbering at yeah. the press conference, and then when they did the face-offs, uh, Nainoa did the. The cocking of a gun. Cocking yeah. of a gun. Yeah, they did a. They basically they were doing a face off, and the video's up on MMA Junkie if you want to see it. But you know they did a traditional face off, and he stepped back and basically mm-hmm. acted like he had a rifle uh, in his face, and you know Coker kind of was like what the hell and stood back and then started. But yeah, uh, and then from that point, you, you the, the on both sides of the room, the camp started yelling up. at each other. The the they're, they're yelling. The coaches yelling at each other. We'll see. Da 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 da. And, and uh, Henzo Gracie was over there trying to calm it down, and they, they just kept going and kept going, and then. The next matchup was King Mo and Liam yeah. McGeary, and they get up on stage, and the camps for Dung and Oliveira are still going at it, and King Mo actually at one point is like, hey, guys, <laughs> give it a break. It's our turn to do a face-off. So, I don't know. I mean, uh, t- talk to me about that. I mean, uh, 
do, do we need to worry a little bit about our safety on fight night, or is that being too too much? Because at, at first I was worried that like what Alima was saying wasn't going to be taken well, because she was like, listen, I hope my people don't riot because we want them to keep coming back. And I was like, oh, man, I, I, in my head I was like, oh, man, I hope people don't take that the wrong way, what she was saying. And now I see that. I think she was just being pretty honest. She was spot on. Yeah, they, <laughs> you're right, John. They didn't miss a beat. Yeah. Like, I, I couldn't stop thinking about what she said. I mean, I I already agreed with her when she was saying it just because I, I had those memories of, again, hearkening back to the Rumble on the Rock. I mean, I, I one of the DVDs was the, was it, I think it was Rodrigo Gracie uh, when he was fighting BJ Penn. And it's a Gracie versus Penn, and yet the camera, which I'm sure Bellator is not, you know, not going to do this, thankfully, but they start going away from the fight into the crowd, mul- not just once, multiple times <laughs> if you guys go and buy that DVD or go back and watch it. And because just the, the fights were getting so out of hand, and, and yeah, like you said, they didn't miss a beat as soon as as soon as uh, the gun cocking thing happened, and I don't know if you caught this too, I caught it on the rewatch, and, okay. and for folks, you can go watch the video because the audio uh, picks up perfectly with John, right. what John's explaining. But after when they're stepping down, um, it looks like uh, Nenoa kind of does a slip. He like almost slips and misses a step. I don't know if you caught that. No, I didn't. And then see that. one of the other corners goes, "You see that? You see that?" And you can hear him on the thing on the on the audio going, "You see that? You see?" And then they and then the other then that's when this guy over here really started getting fired up. Wow! And it, it almost was. I thought it was the gun cocking, but it almost looked like the the slip. And they're just you know making fun of him because like, oh, he just did the gun cocking thing, and the same guy slips. Right. And, and so yeah, they, that's all the fuel they needed. And the corners wanted to fight more than the guys. I think the corners did want to go at it. They're man. missing the Super Bowl days more than us, eh? I'm telling you, man. <laughs> so I'm, I'm excited to see now. Now, uh, to be clear, Friday night is the fight for the troops. Now, the, uh, there will be friends and family there. So people of the fighters that wanted tickets got tickets. But everybody else um, is is from the troops. I, I did learn this week, too. And Scott said this. You may or may not know this. But Scott said, Scott Coker, I should say, said, this is the only place outside um, Washington, D.C. where all five branches of the military are represented in, in one place. I didn't wow. know that, so yeah. makes, makes sense. sense. It'd be makes a very sense. strategic area, that sort of thing. But, yeah. uh, but anyway, so the military will be there on Friday night. So I'm sure that'll be a good environment, but but probably not uh, quite the the battles and the wars that we're expecting. But Saturday mm-hmm. night, that's where the heat's going to be. So I, I'm anxious to see because it'll be two totally different crowds on the two nights. And uh, I've never been in the Blaisdell Center before. Um, I'm told it's small, old, uh, not a lot to it. Uh, space is going to be packed tight, but uh, should be a good atmosphere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What, what, did, what did Coker say? Uh, uh, what did the word he say? Uh, structural limitations or structural limitations? I think it was a very yeah, yeah very nice way of saying it's an old crappy building. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right, let's talk about Friday night. Uh, Brent Premis versus Michael Chandler took a long time for this fight to happen. If if you remember, Brent Premis, of course, uh, won the title a year and a half ago. Uh, he had those low calf kicks. This is the fight that kind of introduced those to the world, right? Where everybody starts saying, "Oh my gosh, that's a dangerous weapon." Uh, took out Michael Chandler with those kicks. Uh, Michael Chandler, of course, the the, the poster boy. For for, for Bellator, uh, you know, all kinds of records in the organization for, for, for how busy he is. And, and these guys are both really talented fighters. Um, Chandler was very frustrated and remains frustrated to this day. He says, listen, uh, I could have fought. It is interesting. You remember when you go back and watch that, you know, he couldn't support himself, but you also had the added thing of the commission pulling the stool mm-hmm. out. Remember yes. that? They pulled the stool out from under. He goes to sit down thinking the stool is still there and it's gone. Uh, so that made it look even worse. But he said, um, you know, I, I was I was okay. Like I was getting, you know, I was regaining composure. And, um, you know, as you mentioned, uh, we saw Henry Cejudo do that, right? We saw Henry yes. Cejudo succumb to an injury like that and then battle his way through it against Demetrius Johnson to come back. So yeah. um, I'm, I'm intrigued by this fight, man. I know you spend a lot more time, you know, watching tape and going back and revisiting um, th- than I do. So I wanted to kind of get your take on it because 
the narrative around this that Michael Chandler has been pushing, of course, and that Michael Chandler fans have been pushing, is that the premise win was a fluke. Plain and simple, it was a fluke. Uh, it was a weird thing. Got hit by a weird kick. Um, and yet, you know, premise says, listen, you know, uh, no. You know, I, I threw those with intent, number one. So, A, it's not a fluke. You know, it's like somebody saying a lucky punch. It's like, well, if I was throwing it at his chin trying to knock him out, how lucky is it? So, uh, you know, he says it's not a fluke. And not only that, it's not like I, it's not like that was the first fight I've ever had, the only fight I've ever had. You know, I earned my way yeah. to that spot. So, um, I mean, break this down. What do you see? I mean, is Chandler the better fighter that, that just got beat that night? Or, you know, is, is premise maybe deserve a little bit more respect than he, than he gets? I think both those things are right. I think Chandler is the better fighter, and he did just get beat that. And I, I don't think you should uh, take away credit uh, lending to your second point, John, as far as Brent Premise, premise because he, he did land the kick. Um, you know, if, if you go back and watch the footage, you'll see it lands almost kind of like a regular. The one that actually got the reaction from Chandler lands almost like a normal leg kick, mm -hmm. but it clearly gets a reaction, and and we see what happens. And it was just it was upsetting because the commission really is is at fault. I know the fighters are blaming each other, and that kind of has taken over the narrative. But sure. really, it's, it's the commission's fault. They stepped. It was, uh, I don't want to pick on Todd Anderson, but New York Commission and Todd Anderson in particular have been tied to multiple questionable calls and you know, at times, and that was definitely one of them. Um, mm -hmm. And I'm not trying to come at Todd Anderson. He's, he's a respectful martial artist, uh, you know, works hard at his craft and all that. But, I mean, it was not the right call. Like you said, we, we saw it play out in the Cejudo Demetrius Johnson. But more importantly, you know, I believe it was a UFC Mexico show. We saw two fights in one night. I want to say it was Alejandro Perez versus Scott Jorgensen, and he was kicking Scott Jorgensen's mm, legs yep, out. Yep. And it was really ugly for Around, yep. but they let the fight play out. And right. later that night, we saw uh, Diego uh, Sanchez do his 145 debut. Thank, mm -hmm. thank goodness he only did that once against <laughs> Ricardo Lamas. And the same thing, he was getting those low calf kicks, and it looked uncomfortable, especially with the amount of damage we know Diego took. But they let the fight play out like it was supposed to, and that was not allowed to happen. So that's the unfortunate part because it, it hurt Premise most of all, and Premise just has a weird sample size. I was talking to Big John uh, about this today um, after after one of the weigh-ins, and it's just it's, it's a you know he's only fought once every year since 2013. And he's just got the weirdest sample size. Uh, and he, he looks really mechanical on the feet, but people underestimate him on the ground. You know, Premise, I don't know how he makes 155. He's, he's a big dude. He's a big dude, but those muscles aren't for show. Like, yeah. if you watch him work on the ground, he is super flexible. Like, he can get his shin all up to his head on a high guard. Yeah. Uh, so there's going to be some tricky stuff that he's going to offer. But, but, but yeah, um, you know. Disclosure: I ended up picking. You know, if you read my breakdown on Junkie, I ended up picking Chandler. But, but yeah, I don't. I don't think a premise is getting enough credit here. Yeah, I agree. I think it's going to be a better fight than maybe most people are giving credit for. And I'm, I'm, I'm really anxious to see. I mean, if Chandler wins, you got to think maybe it sets up a trilogy somewhere down the road. Um, if premise wins, devastating for Chandler, man. That'd be a tough spot to be in. You know, I mean, I, I, I he is such a talented guy, and again, he's the face of this organization in a lot of ways. He's one yeah. of their poster boys, and um, but to go zero and two against a guy. Would put him in a would put him in a really weird spot. So she has to just renegotiating. Oh, I know, right? Yeah, I know that it was funny. Premise was even saying I was praying he didn't leave. I mean, Premise said that I, I wanted to fight him again. You know, I wanted to show him. I'm sick of him talking. Yeah. I want. I was praying he didn't leave because I didn't want him to walk away thinking that was a fluke. He's like, I want to prove to him. Uh, the faceoffs. Um, the, the faceoffs. They they didn't uh, didn't. You know, have too much tension or any threat. I mean, Chandler's a pretty laid-back, cool guy, but um, there's some real animosity. These people 
these two guys do not like each other at all. 100%, man. I'm excited for it. They don't. All right, let's talk about the co-main event, Javier Ayala versus Frank Mir. Uh, Frank Mir, of course, the former UFC heavyweight champion, but he is in need of a win. There's no question about it. He's had a bad streak here. He knows the end is coming. He says it's not here just yet, uh, but you know he, he has his daughter here with him. Uh, he's, he started to talk openly about the fact that she's going to be a professional fighter. He said uh, maybe they'll get her some amateur fights next year. Um, I did hear, and I believe, I, I believe it was on Phone Booth Fighting, his podcast with Richard Hunter, um, where I heard him say that, you know, not that it's happening anytime really, really soon, but before he hangs it up, he wants to have a, a night where, where him and his daughter fight on the same card. He wants to do wow. that before he calls it a career. So that would be intriguing. But um, interesting, he, he's had her here all week, um, and she's actually going to be in his corner, yeah. um, which I'm I'm really intrigued by the, the psychology behind this, man. I, I really am because – uh, man, you you know you get it, man. You've been around this fight game for a long time, and of course they're all intense. But when you have a vested interest in somebody, you know, when when it's a loved one, or even when it's a training partner or somebody that you're close, you're really close with, it's harder. But when it's a loved one, you know, like yeah. uh, man, I, it's tough. And so to have his daughter there in the corner, you know, he's saying it's all the motivation I need. You know, I I uh, I you know I'm not gonna let Javier Ayala kick my ass in front of my child. Um, but I'm I'm intrigued by his decision to have her. Uh, in his corner, and, and he's saying, "Look, this is part of her education process. She wants to be a professional fighter, and and I'm going to help her bridge that gap." But um, I'm I'm super intrigued by it, and I wonder how it's going to impact him. Yeah, me too, man. You know, we were talking about this on the preview where I it swung me one way, and then I swung back the other. Now I think this this is because it comes down to it tells us a lot about our projections of our feelings about. It. Like for example. Uh, when I when I had my amateur fight that you called, my mom, you know, I told my mom, you know what, you, you don't have to go to watch this one, <laughs> you know, I, I don't, because for me, I treat it as a stressor. Family, I got to worry from worried about the tickets and stuff of your fighters to just, you know, I, I want to focus on me and my performance, and I'm okay with getting my ass kicked, uh, which did happen, but the the fact was, I don't need my my, my you know, uh, family member, and some people have that have that view, they don't want to think about that. I know I'm uh, um I'm not just projecting that totally there, but Frank Mir is not just a fighter. He, he's a he, he's got a how do I say this in a compliment? He's got all the screws loose in all the right places as a fighter, <laughs> and I mean I mean that as a compliment, right? right? I mean you hear the story the, the stories, uh, you know Frank Mir. He's a he's a weapon in more ways than one, right? I mean uh, I don't know if it was Brendan Schaub saying if if that guy falls down the stairs, it's just duck because gunshots are going to oh, go off everywhere. Carries an arsenal, man. <laughs> So, so you know, hearing him, and maybe you relate to this more, John, having 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 a son and in Eli, that the, the different family uh, perspective, where that sounds to gear him a different way, where yeah. he where he said it in in the scrum, he said, "I want to see what it looks like when someone tries to beat me up in front of my kid. I want to, I would like to see that." And I know Frank talks the talk, but goddamn, we've seen him walk the walk before, and that guy scares me. <laughs> he is, man. When he's on point, he's on point. Mm -hmm. So um, I'm anxious to see how that works. He should beat Javier Ayala, but even Frank Mir said, "Listen." Javier Ayala, you know, should have lost Sergey Karatanov, yeah. and he didn't, you know. So, uh, so we'll see what happens. But that's a, that's a big fight for Frank Mir. Uh, AJ McKee is, is on the undercard as well against Daniel Crawford. Uh, I am high on AJ McKee. Um, you know, talked to talked to Scott Coker a little bit earlier this week, and, and I don't want to say he wasn't sold on him being a title challenger, but it does. It's it's even at this point, it sounds like they're still kind of trying to slow play it a little bit with AJ McKee, um, and I, I don't necessarily understand why because. I I think he's peaking, man. I really do. I've I've been I've been high on him ever since he came to the promotion, uh, and I feel like yes, he may have had some you know not perfect performances along the way, but overall, man, I feel like he continues to improve. I feel like he is a phenomenal fighter, and I, and I I do believe. I don't want to completely write off Daniel Crawford here, but I'm just really high on AJ McKee. I do believe he is getting close to to title consideration. 
Yeah, me too. You know, you know who he reminds me of? Uh, talent and and trajectory, or at least I hope, because now his trajectory is getting better, and I, he felt the same way too. Is Darian Caldwell? Oh yeah, I feel I, I see a lot of parallels with those guys. Uh, not not necessarily their style, so to speak. Slightly no. different styles, yep. though, though they are both southpaws. Yep. Uh, but just really sharp, really developing. And you're right, from the matchmaking, it almost looks like so. But I, I got to imagine, and, and you, you, you'll have a better feel than this than me. That I think that you know. Bellator does have those plans because when I was watching the, uh, for example, even the in, in Rome, I was trying to watch the the DAZN and that, that stream was a bit off, admittedly, right. on their end yep. too. But one of the things they were playing for a filler, I noticed a lot, was a lot of like AJ McKee interviews, which was kind of random at the time because like you know it's a double event and you're like he's not fighting on either of these. Why are you playing these inter? But then you're like, oh yeah, yeah, no, no, he's he's definitely a player. And yep. so I'm hoping they're going to do something with him. It's interesting because Bellator does have a little bit of a luxury, and I think it's good for developing fighters that. They don't have to put you against killers every single time. Yeah. They can't afford to bring you along a little bit because, you know, you're not expected to have top ten in the world talent in every mm -hmm. single division. And, and, you, and, you have, and I think that's good for fighters. And I, and I think that's it's a great opportunity to develop talent in the organization. But at some point, you know, I mean, it was – I think – it was the MVP thing forever, right? When they were like, when is Michael Page finally going to fight a real fighter? And, and I'm not saying that A.J. McKee hasn't fought real fighters because he has. He, but he's, he's not fighting the, the quite upper echelon yet. And I think that's okay. He's a, young, I mean, he's a super young kid. So you don't have to rush him. Uh, and if you could get the guy up to like 18-0, 19-0, 20 -0, that's a hell of an impressive record to put on paper, you know. Um, but I, I do think you, you take the kid gloves off at some point because I, I just honestly think that he's a talented enough fighter. Um, to do that. Uh, the main card rounds out on that Friday night show with Alejandro Laura versus Juliana Velasquez and Derek Campos versus Sam Cecilia. Uh, of course, uh, you know, former title challenger there uh, in, in Alejandro Laura, uh, Juliana Velasquez undefeated. Derek Campos will go out there and bang with anybody. I didn't recognize him with a beard this week. I didn't recognize him on the scale. <laughs> First time 145, too. He came in and weighed in at 145. And, <laughs> uh, yeah, it was kind of funny because I'd kind of forgotten that this fight was at Featherweight. And yeah. I definitely didn't recognize him with a beard. <laughs> so it was the official weigh-ins. And you feel bad when somebody's on the main card. And I was like, PR. Who is that? Who is that? They're like Derek Combo. I was like, oh, God, yeah, it is. Yeah. The beard on there. Stallion. And, of course, Sam Cecilia, man, who's always willing to go out there and bang, former UFC fighter. Good dude as well, man. I've always been a big fan of that guy. Yeah. But uh, some good fights there. The prelims, you know, you've got some uh, – you got some some locals on there as as the way Bellator always does. Uh, you do have Nate Diaz protege in there, Chris Avila, uh, and we saw Nate Diaz in the house today. Hobson Gracie Jr. debuting. Uh, Tywin Claxton at 150 pounds. Uh, it was funny. There were the official weigh-ins. Uh, Tywin got on the got on the scale, and I guess some of the paperwork listed as 145. We thought it was a 145. Yeah. Uh, and it was funny because he got on the scale, and and uh, the guys registering the scale were like, uh. Uh, they didn't want to say anything. They didn't know, and he was like, "No, it's 150. It's 150." They're like, "The contract's 150," and everybody kind of scrambled. Yeah, and like, yeah. I guess like half the staff knew, and the other half didn't. Like, some yeah. of the paperwork is wrong. So for a brief moment, everybody was like, "What's up?" So if you look at the if you look at the the official weigh-in pictures from Bellator, you'll see that he's looking at our camera lens like with this little sheepish smile and a shrug, <laughs> you know, because like everybody was freaking out, but it was supposed to be at 150. So um, what stands out to you is, is I mean, is, is it Speedy or Air Claxon as he's known now? Is it? The Hobson Gracie debut that you're most keyed up about. I mean, what's uh, what's the one out there that if you had to pick something out that you're looking for, or is it you know Campos Cecilia, Lara Velasquez? What, what's what, what are you most excited there? Man, you know, no disrespect to the the Gracies. I think Neiman is the Gracie probably getting the more spotlight this week. So for me, I guess I got to say uh, Taiwan Claxton. I mean, a little bit biased too. Uh, you know, I sh shared a coach with him who was really high on him, uh, Neil Melanson, and yep. you know, he just raved personally behind the scenes. He, he, he they, 
he doesn't do that that much uh, with his guys. He's not that kind of a coach or he doesn't try to promote or anything. But he was he, he's genuinely excited about the talent of Taiwan Clocks. And I think he showed us some of that talent. Definitely. Yeah, he's got some skills, no doubt about it. So, all right, let's do this. Uh, I hear my man Cold Coffee is messaging, uh, and he said he's wrapping things up over there. So let's nice. do this. Let's, uh, let's switch to gears for a second. And uh, I'll, I had a chance to sit down. At the Ritz Carlton, by the way, with uh, Scott Coker. He's staying at a very, very nice hotel. Uh, and uh, we got to go to the restaurant there. It was a very, uh, very fine restaurant mm. there overlooking uh, the ocean. It was absolutely gorgeous. Uh, Herschel Walker ended up coming and hanging out for a little bit afterwards. Nice. Uh, but uh, we got to sit down and, and have a little one on one with. Uh, with Mr. Scott Coker, and we talked about a lot of things, a lot of wide-ranging subjects. I'll, I'll pare it down a little bit because we uh, we had quite a lengthy conversation, but I figured there was a lot there. And, uh, you know, hey, we go from USC president one week to Bellator president the next because that's how we do on the MMA Roadshow. So uh, while we get cold coffee in, here is uh, my conversation with Scott Coker. Scott, here we are starting the week off in Bellator, Hawaii, and I just got to ask kind of what yeah. your emotions like, excitement is like, because uh, now that we're here, man, especially, it really feels – like a special event. I mean, this is a return of big-time MMA to Hawaii. So what's what's it feel like for you right now? Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's exciting because really the genesis of this was based off an event that Spike did two years ago called Rock the Troops. And The Rock hosted it. They had all these great actors and bands. They had 45,000 people show up. And um, they didn't do it this year. And we were going to tie into that event, actually. Uh, this year they decided not to do it. So I said, you know, why don't we do something for some of the troops for uh, Hawaii? And on Saturday, we'll do a fight for the general public. On Friday, we'll do a free fight for the troops. And uh, and then we'll bring our top guys and we'll, you know, send them to different bases around uh, the country. I mean, around the, the, the island here. This is the only place outside of Washington, D.C. that all five uh, military, uh, you know, the Army, Marines, Navy, Air Force, Coast Guard, they're all here. Washington DC is the only other place that all five, you know, of the, of the military are here and, and Hawaii is one of them. So uh, we've been out running around all the bases. I've seen the pictures of Herschel and, and Hoist Gracie and teaching seminars and doing clinics and survival skill training and Herschel on this big gun trying to figure out if he was going to shoot it or not. So, you know, it's been, it's been, a, it's been a lot of fun and, you know, really it's about giving back, giving value to the men and women that serve this country, and uh, I think we're doing a great job uh, so far. Why did you target Hawaii as, as a market for an event? Because we know that there's a history yeah. of mixed martial arts here, but big time MMA hasn't been here in a long time, and we know there's there's costs involved, there's operational difficulties, and everybody. So, what made you look at Hawaii and say, no, it's it's viable, we're going to do it? Listen, you know, there's. Uh, a lot of dialogue about this company or that company not coming. I, you know, had, we had nothing to do with that. My thing was like, look, did a pencil out for us? And it did. So I said, let's go do it because Alima is from here. She went to Punahou High School. You know, she's, uh, her family is very prominent here. Um, I learned so much about her family just coming to Hawaii and talking to the people that her family, that the father was the PE coach at Punahou High School and that, you know, she was part of the uh, the, uh, the canoeing circuit here, the canoeing club. And they, in fact, I think they have a, a, um, a canoe race named after the family here. Wow. So prominent family type uh, roots. And um, I said, you know, she really wants to do it. She wants to go to Hawaii. Look, none of my staff complained that we're going to come to Hawaii and, and do this event. And uh, I said, let's go for it. And so we passed it out. We talked to Paramount. And we talked to the zone. They're like, let's do it. And, and here we are. I know that, you know, 
throughout your career as a promoter, you don't often like to take aim at another organization, but is there any little part of you in the back of your head that's just a little bit happy that you beat the UFC to Hawaii? They've been talking about it forever, and, and you were the guys to get here first. Well, listen, you know, I, you know, like you said, I don't, I'm not going to compare us to other organizations, but uh, we are here first, and, and it does feel good, you know, regardless of any other organization. Uh, everybody has choices to make, you know? They had a choice of whether they want to come do it or not. They said not to do it, and we did it, you know? I don't think Max, Max is too happy, but, you know, you can come watch our fights tomorrow night or Saturday night. <laughs> the salute the troops mm -hmm. concept, uh, you said, you know, it was kind of based on another uh, another idea that was done before. Mm -hmm. Is this um, something that you think the company will continue to do in the future? Is this a, a one-off? I mean, tell me about, uh, you know, the decision to, to do something like this. You know, it, it's something that I'd like to come here once a year and, and, and do this dual event. Saturday night is open to the general public. Friday night is free for the troops. And it's a give back to the military and for all that they do for us. And it's just a feel-good show. And we've got so much support here from the mayor's office, from the governor's office, and uh, and from the military here. Everybody's embracing uh, Bellator this week. And uh, we're out there doing good community work. And good work, you know, for the like I said, for the troops. That's that's you know really been there to protect protect uh, this country. So I, I love it. I mean, I I come from a military household, right? I mean, I grew up in Seoul, Korea, not too far from the base. My father was in the military there for a couple of years. So I remember when uh, the USO shows were coming to town, and we would go watch and watch a football game, or the, you know, it's just it just meant a lot uh, to the community when events come into town that maybe are not part of the, the norm and I think this is something that the troops really will enjoy on Friday night. I'm excited for it. Let's start with Friday. We've got the rematch there that we've been waiting on forever, right? Primus and Chandler. What took so long to get this fight back together? I mean, this is a fight that seemed like it was a natural to do right away after the first time they fought. Why did it take so you long? You know, I'll tell you, when I think back about it, it just, uh, time just flew on this one and uh, I know that uh, there's some babies involved, you know, people having kids, and this. It just stuff happens in life, you know. And I think that's really what happened is, you know, we were ready to do it, and then uh, somebody was having a baby, and it pushed things back, and this person got hurt, and then this person had to fight because he has to fight, and, and it's just it's just the the nature of this business. Injuries happen, scheduling it happens, life gets in the way, and uh, but here we are, you know, 18 months later, and I think it's going to be an amazing fight. I was going to say, I mean, the rivalry between these two. I guess if there's a if there's a bright spot of us waiting so long, as I feel like the tension is like just built this entire time. I mean, it seems to me there's some real animosity between these two guys and how they look back on that first fight. Yeah. There definitely is, and and you know, um, I've I've seen some of the, uh, some of the interviews that Michael has been doing, and he's taking very personal, you know. And you know what? He wants to be the champ. He wants to be the belt holder, and he knows that Primus is the guy that he's got to beat to get there. So this is a uh, personal mission for him. But uh, there's going to be a lot of heat on this fight. You know, that might be the you know the fight of the night on Friday. That's going to be an amazing fight. And, uh, you know, we've been waiting 18 months for it, and here we are. So. It's an exciting night. You think if Chandler gets it done, that this sets up a potential trilogy down the line? I mean, if he, do you see it ending one and one and moving on, or do you feel like there could be a potential trilogy? You know what? I always like to wait and see what happens with the fight. You know, so that's something that I think we can go. You know, on Monday we'll take a look at it and we'll decide. You know where it makes sense, and uh, if it doesn't, we'll move forward and find other fights for Michael. If it was a great battle, 
it goes back and forth depending how it finishes and or if it's a decision or if it's you know submission or whatever you know we'll decide at that time uh, you know maybe a couple of days after the fight yeah. AJ McKee on the card as well I want to ask about him I mean you guys have brought him along and he seems to be peaking uh, is this finally a, a number one contender type fight for him? I mean are you starting to look at him at this point in his career as you know close to a title shot or do you still feel like there's there's time you know um, I can tell you what he feels. <laughs> he's ready. He's ready to go. But that feels like he's ready to go, you know? Uh, and I think we're almost there. I think that we're almost there. And we just have an amazing division, you know? And we'll have a lot of great fights for him. Uh, so I would say to AJ, hey, just, you know, one fight at a time. Just keep keep doing what you're doing, you know? And you'll be right in there soon, you know, for that, uh, that matchup. Yeah, it could be a big night for him. Speedy Claxton's on there, which I'm anxious to see his return. Hobson Gracie Jr. is on there. I want to ask you about these martial arts, these kind of traditional martial arts, I would say, that you're bringing into MMA. I mean, I feel like you have done this more than any other organization where you're finding these guys that, are, that, that you know, come from a traditional martial arts background and don't have MMA experience, and you say, we're going to take a chance. Why, why, why is that? What do you see? Is that, a, is, that a, is that a personal promotional philosophy? Is it just the way things have worked out? You know what? I think that, um, listen, I love, you know, the martial arts coming into MMA. And I always said to, you know, um, Kevin Kay and Viacom, I said, look, when, when I came here four years ago, I said, I'm going to bring martial arts back to MMA. And that was like one of my mission statements was, you know, I think that we kind of got off a little bit, you know, because this is a martial art and we should treat it as such. And um, to have a guy like Loretta Machida, who is like, you know, like one of the most ultimate, you know, MMA, traditional martial arts have had success. Uh, I love working with Kung Lee, you know, when, 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 he, when he was fighting for me. Um, I like working with, uh, you know, traditional jiu-jitsu fighters because just watch him grow and learn and, and just become like an MMA fighter from a traditional jiu-jitsu, uh, let's say, you know, competitor. It's much different because somebody's punching you in the face now and they're, you know, not, they're not taking you down just to submit you, but they're, you know, trying to pound you out. So it's, it's different. And, uh, uh, you know, it, it's it's something that it's important to me, and everybody that knows me knows that this is important. And uh, I love working with martial artists. This is MMA; it should be martial artists. No question. Saturday night, we've got Alima Lay McFarland in, in the headlining slot there against Valerie Letourneau. Uh Alima Lay, her star is definitely growing, but I'm curious. I mean, you've been here a little longer than we have here in Hawaii. Can you give me an idea of how popular, how recognized, what her star power is here on on the islands? Yeah, she has a lot of pressure on her because uh, when she walks out, it's going to be a madhouse, you know, for for her. And uh, there's a certain amount of pressure that comes with being the hometown favorite. And there hasn't been a big fight here for 12, 13 years, you know, since the uh, uh, Elite XC days. And so uh, I think the island is ready for a big fight like this. Alima is a rising star. I think she's ready for this opportunity. Valerie is a killer. No joke you know star as well so to me this is a fight that is going to be uh, a test of I want to say her nerves and her will you know and skill and uh, this is going to be an interesting fight because I'm telling you this whole island is buzzing 
for Elima. And I see it, you know, on bus sides around here, and I see, you know, things that we didn't even do that local sponsorships did, sponsors did for her here. And, you know, she went to Punahou High School, which uh, Obama went to. And it's a very prominent high school. It's like one of the, you know, the most prominent in the, in the, in the, in the island here. So um, she has a tremendous amount of family here. Tremendous amount of friends here. It's going to be a lot of pressure. So let's see if she can handle it. That's going to be the key. All right, Kate. You also got the Bellator debut of Leota Machida. Mm -hmm. Why was he a good fit for? Him? I mean, you mentioned just earlier you, you respect him as a traditional martial artist, mm -hmm. but I'm just curious. I mean, obviously, you know, when you go after those free agents, those those established talents, they come with a price tag attached. So why yeah. was why was he somebody that you were willing to say? Let's let's spend the money on that guy. You know, I'll tell you, um, Leona's and then my negotiation lasted really like three minutes. You know, he said this is what he wanted, and I said if I pay you that, would you come over? He said I will. So I said, okay, we're done. That was it. I'm gonna fly back to San Jose now. You know, but um, you know, very rare. Uh, it's very rare to have a headliner become available at his level and his skill set. And I still think he's got a lot in the gas tank. Think about the fights he has ahead of him here. When he's finished with uh, you know, uh, this fight, win or lose, I think he's got a fight ahead with Gegard and Musasi at some point. I think him and Ryan Bader have a fight down the line at some point. I think that um, um, he, he, was he said to me, I want to fight Fedor too. I don't know. We'll see about that one. But you know, there's there's some good fights for him here, and uh, you know, we're gonna line him up for him and let him let him fight. But I think Gegard and and Bader at some point, you know, next year definitely will, you know, be be fighting, and I think that's gonna be an exciting fight. But I love uh, the matchups that were possible, and just all the mixing up of these top athletes, you know, the very top that we can put together, and he was and he was a great piece of that. So that's why we said okay. We're gonna pay you because we want you to be the guy that can put these fights together and he was happy to do it um, and, and like you said, he said hey, I have nothing against you know the other organizations, but uh, it's ready I, I'm ready to leave and it's time for me to make a move You know because I'm ready to go and so that's why we made the deal How much do you think or do you envision Bellator being a player in big free agent markets going forward? I mean, uh, I guess competition is good for the open market, but you you also have to be financially sensible as well, right? So how much do you envision Bellator being a player for these contracts when they come up? I mean, think about it. Start with Roy McDonald, you know, you got Gegard, you have um, Fedor was a free agent when we picked him up. Um, you have, um, you know, we had a deal with Chael, and then Loyola Machida. I mean, we picked up some really good free agents along the way. And, you know, and there's some that uh, we passed on, and there's some that we really were very aggressive. And, and to me, it's like how, how I view it is like, how does this person fit into our organization? And how does this person fit into the fights that we want to make for this organization? And, um, you know, um, there will be more free agents. And we'll go after the ones that we really, really want, and then the others that we don't, they'll end up somewhere else. And it's good, it's crazy, a healthy uh, industry because it's not just about one company anymore. I mean, if Bellator wasn't here, you know, it's like when Strike Force was sold, right? Then, then the UFC had all the talent, and there's no second buyer, right? So, you know, prices start going down on what they're offering because managers are calling me. You know, Bob Cook, especially going, hey, Coker, this is great and everything, but 
you know, now I'm getting offered 20% less than before because there's no, there's no, there's no, you need to have two or three bidders to, to create a healthy industry. And uh, we're doing our part because let me tell you, the, um, the amount of commitment that Viacom and Paramount have to go after free agents that we really want is unlike anything else. I mean, it's, they, they've told me if you see somebody you really want, come to us and you know we'll go do it we'll make it happen so their commitment's strong nice mm -hmm. how close were you on eddie alvarez i feel like i feel like that was one that people thought might might fit you know eddie was really like a five i want maybe a 15 second conversation you know really it was like i they came to rich and they said i go well, what do they want you know he said well he wants this i said well um we're not gonna do that so tell him thank you but we'll pass you know, and, and that was and that was it. That's the only conversation we had. With Eddie. And listen, I hope he does well. I hope he's, you know, has a good career, and you know, he seems like a great guy. But um, you know, it's like uh, there has to be a certain amount of I don't know what it is, but you know, I think there's you know, like who who are the the five hundred thousand dollar fighters? Who are the million dollar fighters? You know, who are the two hundred fifty thousand dollar fighters? You know, because there, it has you know, is it there has to be a return on our end too, right? And so, yeah, it would be great for him and Chandler to, to lock horns one more time. But um, that that would be at the expense of, of the company probably losing money, you know. So, listen, Chandler has been here for a long time. And if we're going to pay anybody, we're going to pay our guy. No doubt. Yeah. I want to ask you, I'm not sure if you're aware of it, but your old friend Nick Diaz has taken to social media. He's been on Instagram. Uh, Saying good things about you, saying he likes working with you, and he kind of misses you. He misses the good old days of Scott Coker. Yeah. Is there any is there any discussion on that front? Is that somebody that you've been considering? Well, Nick's in the contract, so I haven't spoken to Nick in a couple, of, maybe a year or six months. I know he's out, you know, doing his uh, running and bicycling and doing what he does. But uh, listen, I've always had a great relationship promoting Nick and he's uh, a friend and he's somebody that really I love promoting a strike force I love watching him before that when he was fighting and you know he's just you know those those two brothers are you know <laughs> you, you never know what's gonna come out of their mouth but you know for me it's like you know he's part of the family no matter where he is now he's still part of the family and I think he feels it too you know, because we were very good to him. He was good to us, and it was a good relationship. Very cool. We do have a welterweight Grand Prix bout this weekend yes. as well. I want to ask you, Grand Prix moving forward. I mean, we, we've we've got one wrapping up. We've got another kind of getting underway. Mm -hmm. um, what do you see? Do you see this as a as a long term fixture of the company to to showcase these types of Grand Prix, or were, were these special situations? What, what do you think? I think people love it. You know, and really, I feel like the heavyweight tournament was you know to me a tournament that we would create the champion, right? And now we have the finals coming in January, so that's going to be over. But what I learned along the way is that people still love it. You know, people want that 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 uh, you know, like that single elimination event that leads to like a finals. You know, and I think that what we bring is we bring a tournament that everybody knows who the fighters are. You know, like we're going to bring eight big stars. And they're all going to fight, and they're going to continue, and then you'll have one person. Everybody understands the single elimination format. So I think people really appreciate that. So um, we have our welterweight tournament. People are loving it. I think that people are excited about uh, the next fight with uh, Ed Ruth and, and Neiman Gracie, which for me is going to be an amazing matchup. And then MVP Daily. I mean, that's going to be a big fight in February. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, so uh, we're going to get behind the welterweight tournament. 
you know, for the next year, and then we'll we'll take it from there. But I personally love it. I think it's been a good piece of business for Bellator, and it's worked for us on the TV rating, TV ratings, international sponsorships. It's been very good. We touched on MVP daily, so I guess got to go ahead and bring it up. Uh, mm -hmm. People wonder why it didn't happen in England. They said this is this is a natural fit. It's got to be in England. So explain to us why it didn't make sense for it to happen in England. You know, that's a, a good question, and um, we did try. And the issue really was that the broadcast partner, you know, wanted to have it here. But we went and talked to them, and James Rushton, the CEO of his own, um, and we sat down with him. We said we really feel like this fight should be here in London. <coughs> And we were in London at the time. He said, okay, you can do it here. So there just was no venues available in London at that time. We could have went to, you know, Newcastle or Ireland or, you know, but we said, look, if we're not going to do it in London, we might as well do it in America where they really want it anyway. But James Rushton did say, you know, you guys could do it here if you find the venue. So he gives the green light. We looked, we tried, we tried to challenge dates, this and that, and there was just nothing available. So we had to do it in this time frame. And in the month of, of uh, uh, February, there's only, you know, the O2 Arena and SSA Wembley. And that's pretty much it. And there's just no dates available. So we ended up doing it the morning sun on February 16th. Fair enough. You mentioned a couple of cities around Europe. You're launching a European fight series. Give us an idea what the what the goal is. I mean, what the concept behind it. I mean, it's, uh, you know, imagine you'll be cultivating some talent. But what can we expect to see out of that? And, and what is the ultimate goal of it? You know what? Um, talent is a big piece of that because I think there's some gems out there and and going around the world and seeing all these other fight companies or seeing the fight, fighters fighting on our undercard there's a lot of talent out there and so to me it's like you know let's go find the next gem and, and develop it and build it but uh, there's also something to be said about uh, the local broadcaster wanting a localized product you know and uh, whenever we'd be in you know different territories they're like man we love it but you know I hate it when it's not at two in the morning or three in the morning. You know, can't you do something here locally for us? And and that was the other drive was, you know, Viacom is is a worldwide company, have branches all over the planet, and you know they're like, come on, like can't you create like a localized product for us? And so we're launching with Channel Five, uh, with Newcastle, and it's a local product for their time zone and not have to watch it two in the morning and we'll f primarily focus a lot on the local um, you know uh, talent pool from the UK Ireland uh, Spain Italy you know just that Western Europe region uh, uh, Sweden and we'll, we'll be looking for the next the next guy the next girl uh, but part of that equation is for the TV broadcast, so how do you create a localized product? And that's what the answer was, because now we have a product that we can offer eight to 10 localized fights, as well as our 22 fight package from here. Uh, and it's a much more robust TV package uh, when you add it all up. I guess maybe one step at a time, but knowing that that's the model and what you can do, I mean, mm -hmm. is that something you could replicate in other areas of the globe? You know what, I'll tell you, don't be surprised uh, by 2000, let's say 20, 2021, We'll be um, in Asia doing eight to ten fights a year. I think between Japan, Korea, and China, maybe you know two, four, two, two to three fights each. So we'll have an Asian circuit, you know, localized for them. We'll have uh, Latin America. They'll have its own circuit. Europe will have its own circuit, and so that'd be like a, let's say a ten fights, ten fight series in each one of those territories, plus the twenty-two we do here. 
So you, you, it, it's going to be like a 52 week, uh, you know, a year, you know, business because we're going to do fights. Probably we'll probably be doing 50 fights a year uh, in the next two or three years. So we're definitely on our way. That's incredible. Yes. Let's get a couple of quick other updates. Rory McDonald. Have you have you spoken to him? How's he doing? What's what's his condition and his plan moving forward? Yeah, he's um, healing up. But I think he's starting to train now, stretch and train and getting, getting back. But he will be fighting uh, John Fitch uh, sometime in March. Uh, so we're uh, finalizing the location of that fight. Um, and then uh, we'll get into the semifinals uh, April. No, I'm sorry, May. Uh, and then June, and then September will be the finals. That's kind of like the time frame for the tournament for the year. Exciting, Darian Caldwell, <laughs> send him over to Japan. Give me, give me an idea. Why, why did this make sense? I mean, this was a, this was pretty cool. I think it took everybody by surprise, yeah. and everybody was pretty excited about it. But yeah. um, why did it make sense for you to, to send your guy over there? You know, um, I I was talking to um, a good friend of mine actually that manages Horiguchi, right, and. Um, um, we almost uh, bid for Horiguchi at one point because I liked a nice kid, and you know, and and so Fumi, his manager, and I, his manager lives in San Jose and was part of AKA, and so we we always hung out. And he said, you know, Scott, please send you know DC to come fight Horiguchi. I'm like, ah, you know, it's so I uh, I made a comment at a press conference saying, come on, Sakibara, let's do this. You know, I'll bring DC and we'll fight Horiguchi. <laughs> I just stood out there, and then my phone starts blowing up that night. You know, come on, let's do it. So uh, we talked to DC's people. They're like, "Oh, we would love to do it." You know, it's like his dream to fight in Japan. So I said, "Okay, let me let me organize a few things." You know, on my end, and uh, and uh, we put it all together. And and now, you know, he's going to fight for the Ryzen belt. The belt or belt's not on line. But if he goes there and uh, and DC loses, there's a guaranteed rematch in Bellator as part of the deal and if he goes there and wins then I agree with Saki Gabar that once a year DC will go there to defend the Ryzen belt interesting know? and if Horiguchi beats DC here as well then he's got we have to have access to uh, Horiguchi to fight in Bellator once a year to defend his Bellator belt and he would come fight for that Bellator belt that's right interesting yeah so the, the thing is you know we talk about but like the whole thing with Ben Askren was saying, well, you know, I, I, you know, he wanted to fight, and we were off in the tournament. You know, to me, it's like, look, we can't go do co-promotions with other promoters, promoters unless we have access to the athletes. And that was the problem with with Ben and, and the One FC thing was he wanted to fight one time, and we wouldn't have access to him anymore. Well, that doesn't work for me. But this situation, we agree that we have access to the athletes, and uh, I tell you, DC is really excited, and and uh, he's going to go over there, and I think he's got a good shot. You know, to take them. It's going to be a great fight. Do you think this is the first of many? I mean, can we see more talent exchange like this moving forward? Yeah, I mean, I think this is a, a case by case basis, and uh, you know, I think that uh, let's see how this one goes. But uh, listen, we're we're not afraid to put our guys, you know, up, you know, and put them in in, in risk or harm's way in the sense that you know, like, hey, any fighter can get beat at any time. But it's just that you know, there has to be a certain amount of, you know business understanding you know that makes sense for us and for Ryzen uh, to do these types of deals but listen I, I've been going to Japan for you know since the late 90s uh, and 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 working in, in a martial art fight company there uh, so I, I think I have a good understanding of of how it works and what they're looking for uh, and I think that um, as long as the fighters want to do it 
Sakibara and I can have a good understanding, we'll do it because it's to me, I think it's creating a lot, a lot of excitement for you know two fighters that um, you know collectively together they can create a, a much more exciting you know matchup than if they fought somebody else you know just for Ryzen or Bellator. People are talking about this fight now, right? Because it's Ryzen versus Bellator and. Yeah, that's how they're promoting over there. All right, so well, a lot of exciting things going on right now, but I'll just wrap it up with this. Give me the, the idea for 2019. I mean, I don't want to skip past what we've got left this year, but yeah. what's the vision next year? I mean, what's are there goals? Are there, are there check boxes that you want to tick off? I mean, what do you see mm -hmm. for the future of the company next year? Well, you know what? Um, we're going to continue going after every free agent that we believe in, that we think can fit for the company. Um, we're adding our European series. That's going to be a very important piece of business. So now we're going to go from 22 fights to probably 32 fights next year. Um, international expansion as far as um, television distribution. You know, right now we're in 163 countries around the world. We're going to continue to grow that. I think that um, when you look at the blue chip sponsors that we have in in Bellator, it's to me it's pretty amazing because 10 years ago those sponsors were not here right I mean it's it's a much different environment and you know Viacom has a, a great sales team that's out there selling you know Boost Mobile and and you know it's like you're from Miller and with Monster we, we just renewed with Monster for three years so uh, great sponsorship but we're building a, a great business and uh, I think that uh, you know it's going to be something that will help propel us to grow faster more free agents better fights and uh, the zone that was another great piece of business for us too and um, you know uh, they've been great partners and you know they're heavily into boxing with um, with uh, Canelo now and so I think we get some crossover audience between MMA and boxing uh, and so you know there's, there's it's, a, it's a lot of great things ahead and when I think about the schedule like these two fights and then end of January come on we're gonna crown a new heavyweight champion and you got Fedor fighting Ryan Bader, and then you got Gagard Musasi fighting. You know, uh, it's going to just be a, an amazing fight night on uh, an end of January, and then February we got return of the tournament, and we got uh, you know Krokop fighting Roy Nelson, and um, and the number one contender Czech Congo fighting Minikov. and then on Friday night we have Mitrione uh, fighting Karatano. I mean, we just got some, some great. <laughs> mean say that. But we have some great fights, and uh, you know, and it's just going to continue on and on and on. I mean. You know, uh, one of the things I really love about this job is is that I get to sit down with my guys and we get to put on great fights. And we get to sit down. Well, what about if this guy fought this guy? You know, what about if the guy fought this guy? And and that's really part of you know, my early upbringing was it was kickboxing. But I was like, well, what if you know that Brad Hefton fought you know Don Wilson or this guy fought you know, who would win? And that was. You know, part of my upbringing was was going, hey, let's go do it. Let's go put it together. I'm gonna now. Now I'm not gonna just talk about it. I'm gonna go put it, put the fights together, and that's that's how I got into this business. So that continues here many years later. Now it's an MMA. I get to sit down with Rich and all the guys, and, and we sit down, and it's a collective process. You know, I take everybody's input. We all talk about it, and we make the fights that uh, you know the fans want to see. So it's gonna be a great year in 2019 for Bellator. Back to the May Road Show that was Scott Coker, the Bellator boss. Speaking of bosses, look at this boss that just <laughs> rolled in here. Cold coffee rolling in hot. 
hot and late and slow and low. I'm I'm doing the Hawaii thing. <laughs> I even I even put my uh, flip flops on. Or actually, I don't think you. I don't know if these are called flip flops. These are more sandals. I think flip flops are the ones that go between the toes and make the clop clop noise and flip right. up and hit your foot. I don't know. Are those your, are those your big baller sliders? <laughs> yeah, big these, baller brand sliders. <laughs> these are. They actually these are Reef brands. I've had them forever, but they they have the bottle openers on the bottom. Get the heck yeah. out. Look at I've that. Cold they, they coffee actually, and not just like one. Always they prepared. put them on, on both of them. Oh, wow. They're like little bottle <laughs> Bottle opener on the bottom <laughs> of your sandal. The only thing about it is that uh, sometimes when I'm sitting on a stool, that little lip thing will hit like the metal lip, and I'll forget it's there. And I'm like, what is that stupid <laughs> tinging noise? I'm like, oh, that's right. It's my bottle opener hitting the <laughs> So, hitting so the those rail. reefs are roadshow ready, you'd say? Yeah, dude. These are the... <laughs> These are the best. I think Surfers probably knew about it for a while. I don't know if Three even still does it, but yeah. When I first saw that, I was like, "Oh, well, that's a that's a done deal right there." Give, <laughs> me, those, you know, that. <laughs> give me those sandals. So, give us your impressions of Honolulu so far. I mean, uh, you know, you've seen well, the inside hotel, of your hotel room. My hotel room uh, <laughs> looks wonderful. I see your hotel room looks very similar. Uh, your view is actually pretty good. Uh, my view is over the pool that we use, kind of as the backdrop and stuff. So. Uh, later in the evening, I have decent uh, music that you can hear. Right. But uh, besides that, I mean, like, <laughs> there's a B-dubs here. Yes, we did B-dubs. make it to B-dubs, Honolulu. <laughs> and in fairness, in fairness, I mean, while I am a B-dubs aficionado, let's just say, and let's be clear, it's not as if we had to seek it out. It's literally like the first restaurant you run into yeah. when you walk off the property. Oh, yeah. they were asking for it then. But, yeah. I mean, yeah. we. Yeah, I mean, when you – I did notice that it was there. When so. you jaywalk across the street, uh, <laughs> yes. the first – Yes. Establishment you you run into is the uh, if you wait for the, the timing of the lights that the right way the jaywalking's not as dangerous. Yeah, like when you're sober, like <laughs> on the way to the bar is a little bit better. But I mean, no, so far I mean it's been it's been good. You know, the only parts of Hawaii I've seen really outside of this enclave of this resort has been like the the military bases and right. and then driving to and from. It's been like. Very green and rich and lush, and I love the the trees. And maybe Dan, you could tell me what the type of trees. I I think they look like to me like the little mini bonsai trees. Oh yeah, because yeah, yeah. they 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 grow up, but they're flat, and like the leaves are like almost like pine or fir or whatever. But they're like flat, and like they have weird like branches that go down. Almost, we saw some that it almost looked like you poured wax, and like the the trunks just sort of meld together and all this oh. very very unique trees and stuff but it's beautiful i mean like the, the landscape but i don't know what the tr- those trees are called but i just call them big bonsai trees giant, giant bonsai trees yeah. giant bonsai trees <laughs> the, the trunk you described oh that sounds really bad uh was a uh, was it was a, was a, was a it sounds like a banyan tree but you know <laughs> the, the, the actual trees i think you're describing the, the bonsai trees there's actually one in front of my uh, grandma's place where i'm staying yeah and i guess that's where like the the lifts and ubers go and pick it up so i asked the the person at the lobby, uh, I don't know if they're called the concierge, if it's an apartment complex or whatever, but she's like, yeah, just go down to the monkey tree over there, and that's where the Lyfts and Ubers pick it up. So, my, uh, yeah, that was a new one to me, monkey Ooh, tree. Yeah. All right, okay. Huh. Like, are you being racist right now? Or is <laughs> I, don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I imagine maybe at one point monkeys maybe did live in the trees, but, um, yeah, I don't know. But uh, So it's been pretty neat. Like, it, uh, today was the first day. It did not get rained on here. That's true. It has rained every day. Something rained we should say. I mean, you know, Dana has always said, yeah. Dana White from the USC has always said, listen, one of the reasons – that I don't want to go to Hawaii is a there's there's the Blaisdell Arena which is really tiny which is uh, where we're going to be in but they're doing back to back nights so that kind of makes up for it um, or we do Aloha Stadium which I'm sure the USC could could fill Aloha Stadium yeah. but you got to do it outside and you're right it has rained every single day every day I until mean, today and it's, and it's been like on and off on and off but yeah. 
the you know even even with just the on off on off like i mean i had times where my gear was sort of malfunctioning Ugh. and i mean mm -hmm. that's just me with my little handheld i can only imagine if you got cameras and cameras out there and all the lighting gear that you'd have to yeah. there's no way that you'd you'd have to do it let alone to find the the area where they if they were going to try to move everything in like an outdoor area i just don't i mean granted, oh, to, like stage little bit, everything like and... where are you even going to put that sort of thing right. you know um but i don't know it's it's beautiful I'm, I'm looking forward to you know maybe even tomorrow morning before we go to the event even though we had the the early weigh-ins but maybe in between to try to go look at the beach or something but if anything else we got the last day so i don't know it it's it's hawaii but it literally is just feels like every other week. Feels like another event, and it, which oh, sucks, wow. except wow. for the fact that the weather is beautiful. Yeah. And, like, uh, you know, we did have our first Loco Moco Bowl. Mm. Moco Loco Bowl. Was Loco, Loco Moco. Moco. You got it right. Loco yeah. Moco yeah. here, um, which was good. I thought it was a decent representation. I've had some better ones right. back okay. in Vegas, but but it was good. But it still hit the spot. It was the first meal we had yesterday and literally was like a, a gut buster. Like after we ate that, we were just like, oh, this is before you showed up at yeah, the bar. Yeah, we were yeah. just, just kind of sitting there like, oh. I don't think we said a word no. between the two of us while sure. we were eating. Because it was <laughs> just was like first meal of the day. And then we were just like, uh. Especially if it's a heavy meal that hits oh, a spot yeah, like man. that after you guys oh, yeah. work all day. Yeah, we had I would have another day. one. You know, I would have another one. It is funny. Normally we, we're pretty quick to get out of here, out of town on Sunday. But we took the uh, – 10:30 p.m. flight wow, home on Sunday. Yeah, so we will be, uh, we will be, uh, we'll be roadshow ready by the time we jump on the plane to head home on uh, yeah. on Sunday night. I think. I hope they have a place to put your luggage. Uh, I was going to oh, ask I'm you guys sure about do. that. I took the opposite. I don't know. They don't even have offices. The lobby is literally. Did you tell? Did you talk about what the lobby looks like? No. The lobby literally is like an outdoor. Like if you pull up like in a valet <laughs> to drop your, get dropped off, you see a row of like desks against the wall underneath like the covered awning that leads in between different hotels, and that's the lobby. <laughs> it's there's not yeah, like yeah, a yeah. you're not walking into a building and walking up to the reception area. Literally, if gale force winds want to come rushing over the island <laughs> they will go through the lobby and take everybody down and there's no structure to protect anybody it is pretty wild right so i was thinking about, i was like i don't know if there's an area to put our stuff for like that last day we're gonna have to see where we can Ooh. either store our stuff because you know i can't take all my gear down to the beach nah, <laughs> you yeah, know like yeah. surely there's a concierge that can hold on I to would it hope or something so. or a bell desk or something they can hold on throw them throw, throw a 20 spot the, and make sure it build stays a safe or something yeah. <laughs> sit in the back or something <laughs> <laughs> i don't know but it's uh it's been it's been neat I you mean, did i was gonna say the, the first grounds. day we were here like we, so we got in late monday night uh and then tuesday I actually had to just sit here and work for my hotel room i had to work desk duty but you went out to the base uh hung out with yeah, your one new, of them hung out with your new buddy uh herschel walker right no, Herschel was. Uh, oh, Herschel was in the other Herschel group. Herschel was in the other group. I got to hang out with uh, Big John, Josh Thompson, and Hoist Gracie. Yeah. Yeah. So we went to one of the uh, Army barracks here. Mm -hmm. Got to see, uh, meet, and talk with one of the two-star generals, which you don't see those every day. Right. Um, and then met a lot of troops, and they were doing some different combative trainings and stuff. And it's funny, kind of watching. You know, you got those three guys, and. And there's no set structure. They didn't game plan on the road, you know, getting there like, all right, what are we going to teach them? You know, one of them usually just sort of steps up. And I was kind of wondering how that would happen, how that would go down. And they kind of chatted a little bit. And Hoist kind of took the reins and uh, was, sh was showing them this sort of sidekick move, you know. And I'm thinking, like, if I'm thinking about <laughs> striking and other stuff, I'm like, crazy. I'm like, where does Hoist get this? And it was, like, awkward as <laughs> As 
It was awkward. Was it the one to the knee? It no, he was trying. He was trying to get it right to the side, you know. And he was even like bringing it up, and then eventually uh, they got to a point where I think Josh could sort of adapt and was like, "All right, if you want, you can even take this down to the thigh. You know, you can go later." So eventually, the, they built on steps to it. But the first one kind of was Hoist <laughs> teaching them to do this sidekick. And Is he just like so bored with grappling now? Like well, he's just well, like, I, he's I, like, I, I just grapple. I, I guess I should have said this up because. <laughs> They had to call an audible because they walk into the gym, and I think the ultimate goal was to do jujitsu. Right. They walk in into this big, huge basketball gym. There's all these soldiers on the right hand side sitting down, waiting to meet them, ready to do it. What did you think was lacking that would really, really help if you're going to teach jujitsu? Mats. Mats. Yeah. <laughs> oh my they were God. absolutely like a, no a hard mats. basketball oh, court. So, like nice. they they kind of looked at themselves and they were like, okay, what are we gonna do now? Uh, and, okay. So I, I figured it would be probably some sort of striking of some, but it just struck me as very odd that it was hoist, hoist that took the lead <laughs> that to took the striking. lead and did it. So and <laughs> and they kind of just built on that first step. So they did a uh, they did the sidekick and then took it to where. Uh, you did the sidekick, and then you stepped down, and you took that lead uh, leg that would have kicked the sidekick and stepped into the middle of their legs. And then – so what it was is uh, if they, you're pushing the guy back and then say he comes at you, so what it would do is you step down in between his legs, and as his arms are coming forward, you kind of swim over his arms and get reach around the back. So then you'd secure, and then you get the, the underhooks. And then uh, – that and then you place your head and you secured your head so that you couldn't get strikes. That was like right. the second step. Okay. And so they had all these troops and they go around. And what was awesome was like it, they literally took it like they were drilling. You could tell they did classes and you could tell these soldiers did it because they were mm. like, all right, this is what you can do. We're gonna, you're gonna do this, this, this. You set. Okay. All right. Drill. Or you know, all right. What it, it wasn't like ready break, but it was right. like one, two, three, go or whatever. And yeah. it wasn't like they said like this is what we're gonna say. Right, right. It just came. It just yeah. so it was like okay, like you could tell these people had drilled, you know, just with the different mm. like cadence or whatever you wanted to to, to do. And then uh, Josh started adapting his to like different ones where, you know, and that first that head movement and then the the swim in the arm that was still hoist's like kind of addition onto the first one. Right. And then Josh started adapting and say, well, you know, what I would do in this position, you know, instead of just tucking your head here, you know, start taking, I would take my forehead and I'd drive it up under my opponent's chin. So I'm driving his head upwards so that he's looking upward because if he's looking upward, he, he can't be throwing punches like this because right. it's going to throw off his balance and it's going to throw off, off how he sure, strikes, yeah. you know. So I was like, okay. And so it was a nice logical progression that they were starting to teach these guys right. so that initially if a guy's coming at you and a lot of what uh, these guys are learning so you know we might have these crazy rockets and tanks and all these drones and all this other shit but a lot of the battles that are happening are in close quarters right so if you're say entering a house or entering a building and the immediate thing is that a perpetrator something's coming towards you What's one of the first quickest things that you could do? And if they're coming at you and you, and you sort of side with your, with your position, pistol. well, but if, <laughs> a lot of times, if you, well, you, usually you would have your side already or something. But, you know, that sidekick, you know, because if you're doing like a proper sidekick, you're kind of turning away from the person, you're bringing your hip back, and then you're launching that foot out. So you're right. kind of giving yourself a little bit of distance. Yeah. So they were actually teaching things that made sense for nice. what these guys would like probably. It, you know, see in, in duty, and uh, 
and then eventually went on to kind of eventually when uh, that arm with the underhooks where they were secured in the back what they did on one of the other steps was um you know when you're going into that clinch then you take your, your outside leg say if i'm i'm holding them and i'm sort of putting my head my lead legs my right leg and i'm pushing my head onto that side with your left leg sort of stepping around their outside leg and then with that knee hitting the back side of the knee while still holding get them uh, position, get them to lose the balance. Kind of like if you ever walked up behind something that had their legs locked and you, you hit them on the back of the knee and they're like, whoa, yeah, and they lose yeah. their balance. Yeah. So while you have that grip, you know, you kind of pull it in tight and move your arms down. And it wasn't, and, and like what they were reiterating, it wasn't about a lot of force, like pick you up and move you. Yeah, yeah. But with just technique, sliding the arms down and with that knee, stepping around, hitting that knee, and then we're able to kind of pull them down to the ground and right. eventually either mount or do whatever. But again, it was like logical steps oh, that yeah. they could have taught them all kinds of shit. Right. Who knows what? But out of not really planning and preparing what they're going to do, what came from it was a logical series Pretty of fr steps that made stuff. sense That's that awesome. for them, they could take away from it. And that if somebody did, even in a situation, because they even showed that, you know, because some of the guys were much bigger than their their partners that were doing it. But with the right technique and with these guys showing it, you know, it was a simple move that they could gain the upper hand and get this guy down, which could very well happen in a lot of situations. So I was, I was, I was very, I was, I was really impressed by how they kind of threw it together because it could have been Disasters. very half-assed. Last, like just like let's just go, let's teach them how to throw a right cross and and then just call it a day, <laughs> right. you know, like okay, that's fair and good, you know, but how often are Guys in a military setting in a, in a fight going like, all right, let's square up. I'm gonna fucking throw a right cross, dude. You know, like it's not happening. It's not gonna happen like that. You if you're know? at kickboxing range, you're at shooting range, basically <laughs> yeah, at that right. point. <laughs> so, but it was, uh, but it was, it was cool. It was interesting. The, the troops were really stoked to uh, to go around and see it, and uh, I learned some new little fire starting tricks. That was what that happened on the oh, first day. Was the this is a, this the primitive cool fire starting? If you guys Share haven't seen it, like Share you, it you'll you'll see it on YouTube, but. This is something I want to go and teach, like, my nieces and nephews, oh. like, anybody young. So what they had was um, they had bamboo. They showed one way, say, if you had a bamboo, um, just for something that you can kind of imagine what you would use. You could either use a piece of bark or something to sort of become a shell that you could stick um, the different brush and this different stuff to eventually start a little bit of a fire that you add the small kindling, the embers, and then eventually you transfer it to a bigger one. Ah. But what they were calling them, they were calling them tacos, fire tacos. <laughs> so this, imagine a bamboo um, shoot kind of cut in half so you have two halves that look like a little half circle. Yeah. All right, so and on top of that, they had this different sort of like, if you ever find those trees that the bark sort of pulls away and there's like that sort of brushy, woody material that just sort of pulls apart any of that sort of stuff that's kind of flammable you could even take the reeds like if you have cattails and some of the the furry fluff that you find on a lot of plants some of that stuff any of that stuff that's really sort of just kind of goes they took some of this stuff and put it on this little taco but the next steps that did it what that got me was they took a piece of steel wool steel wool that normally is Unless you know what it can do, you're probably not going to have it in your camping or your survivor gear. Now that I know what it does, I'm going to be having it in my fishing gear, my camping gear. But you take the, the, the steel wool and sort of spread it out so that it's not that big giant clump, but that sort of it sort of pulls apart and it's just kind of like a fluffy gray cotton ball. The stuff just pulls apart. And then mix it amongst the 
the different, you know, whatever sort of quick burning um, fuel that you have found that you can put in there, then what happens when you take the 9 volt and you touch it onto the steel wool, it immediately sparks and starts to burn. And then at that point, all you do is as you're tapping around the different areas with the 9 volt battery on the steel wool, and it literally, if you blow it right and you get it going, it just embers up and it just starts flaming. It's like a movie. And and then you just start adding the other little bigger fuel, and then you take your little fire taco that you go, place it under if you have – I always did like the TP method that you you do – but you get enough big enough and then stick it under there and dude it's just lit there's no like so and what happened the steel wool it works even if the steel wool is wet uh-huh. so say if you it's completely wet whereas say if you have a matches and a lot of people say well, I just got matches but if your match box gets wet and then your your matches get wet you can't light them until right. they're dry the steel wool could be absolutely wet and you can take this 9 volt and it'll cause the little sparking almost like if you um, or trying to light your grill with a piece of paper, and you, you're not getting the flame, but you're getting that little red ember that goes along the paper, and it just wants to kind of burn. Yeah, yeah. So when you have that with uh, the steel wool and the other stuff and blow, it causes it to ignite. So you could have wet steel wool. You could be in the rain, but as long as the, the little fluff and the fuel you have is dry, put it in there, and you can get a fire started. Who tuned into the MMA Road Show thinking they were going to get survival <laughs> skills? That's I'm about, everybody now, just go, to, and just go to YouTube. You can go to YouTube <laughs> just do a search. Nine volt and steel wool, and you'll see it. And it's literally, it is game changing. <laughs> I was going to say, Kenny just taught all your listeners how to take take someone down and start a fire. By that's the way, that's it, yeah. man. So just, just, just <laughs> that's how we <laughs> do. So when you need to burn the body, cover it in steel <laughs> oh wool. This could be worse than your giant, redemption talk, guys. Giant, <laughs> maybe you take a giant car battery. Oh, that's great. That's great. All right, let's talk about Bellator 213. Uh, we went through 212, 213. Alima McFarland and Valerie Letourneau. Uh, Alima Leigh McFarland, of course, if you're a dedicated listener to the MA Roadshow, you'll know that she is a bit of a roadshow favorite. Uh, an event out in Temecula, she was there as a guest fighter and basically set in on the whole show and uh, basically at 125 pounds just pretty much outdrank me uh, pounding beers. And uh, she's, she is uh, fun to hang out with, no she's question about all it. all-around better athlete than you. She's definitely a better athlete better than me. Better beer, it turns out she, can even, she, she can even drink better than me, which is amazing. <laughs> and, of course, Valerie Letourneau, who um, – Valerie Letourneau looks – night and day better at 125 yeah. pounds than she did at 115. We were at some of those 115 yeah. fights where she just looked god-awful. Yeah, she and, looked uh, very sucked, sucked in yeah. and just depleted. She looks good this week. Yeah. She's vibrant. You can see it in her personality. You can just see it in the way her body looks. So um, I'm pretty intrigued by Are this you fight. At her body? Shut up, like any fighter. <laughs> Are you looking at Just her like body? any fighter. I'm just kidding. Because yeah. we talked about it yesterday. <laughs> I was looking I was at the open workout footage. I'm, and I, I, I'm sorry, I'm a dude. I was just like, dude, Valerie looked good. But I was like, but then when you're trying to, you want to look, and then you see this hulking Hector Lombard in the background. <laughs> oh, you're like, no. don't get caught looking. Don't get caught looking. Don't get caught looking. One of the scariest text messages I ever re- received uh, was from Hector Lombard. It wasn't even a bad one, but just, just receiving a text message from that man. The fact that that man has your number. Yeah, you don't want him to have your I'm number. Like, no, like, no. Yeah. But you're right. She looked good. I thought, I mean, it wasn't like it was like a, a striking clinic, but the fact that she had plenty of energy yeah. at open workout a lot of times we've seen her in the past and it it's going through the motions yes. it's like you're mm-hmm. looking She's up here you're, you're like you're like yeah. oh man they, she just wants to get through but she looked like she was having fun i mean she was taking in the whole scene it was that was a pretty unique scene just 
the different fans coming out. I don't think there was any fighter that uh, looked like they were having a bad time doing open Yeah, work. they were enjoying it. Normally, out it's on, an obligation. The they, they were all having a good time yesterday. So, uh, Listen, Alimle has promised a, a bit of a surprise to the walk-in. She's saying that it's going to be something that's going to be very emotional, uh, that she yeah. admits that she's probably going to be emotional. She says her family will be in tears. So far this week, she's handling the responsibilities really, really well. Um, doesn't look to be overwhelmed by the moment, but she said herself, once they get inside Blaisdell, it's going to be something different. So we'll see how she deals with it. But, Dan, Tom, break down just kind of what you see. I mean, uh, I, I guess on the surface you could say it's striker versus grappler if you wanted to make it that simple, right? But, uh, again, if, if you're looking at in, intangibles, it's going to come down to how Lee Malay handles herself that night. You know, Valerie, Valerie actually said in her scrum, which I thought was interesting, she's like, I remember the first time I fought in my hometown, I hated it. It sucked, you know what I mean? Yeah. I froze, basically. I, I froze under the lights, and I remember it. Uh, so those are intangibles. Yes. You can't really – you know, determine necessarily how right. this is going to go. But as far as just the actual breakdown goes, uh, how, how do you see this fight? You know, I, I'll actually steal the, uh, you know, I, I did break the fight down, and you can read that breakdown on MMAJunkie.com right now. But I will actually steal the, the talking points from both Alima Lay and Valerie because I believe they are both spot on in picking the one thing that's not really being talked about as much in, in, in the mainstream uh, as far as this fight goes. One, Alima Lay McFarlane giving Valerie Letourneau for her grappling credit, you know. Um, I remember breaking down the Christina Williams fight, and I said, you know, people think that, you know, Valerie Letourneau is just a striker, but considering that Christina Williams just wants to strike, don't be surprised to see her go for a takedown. Now, you know, uh, she was a bit stubborn to go for that takedown. I believe it didn't happen until later in round two, maybe round three. But we saw that she can get offensive with it. She, she's she's pretty good defensively. I don't want to say pretty good. She's never been submitted in her tenured career. And she has a pretty long career as far as female goes. Letourneau, I'm speaking of. So that's one thing uh, to watch out here. To, you know, again, to be wary of the striker versus grappler. And says she spent a lot of time, by the way, training with Jillian Robertson mm -hmm. uh, as a training partner. Really good arm bars. Cra crafty grappler. Yeah, definitely. Oh, yeah, yeah. Great, great training partner. Yep. You're right there. And as far as the other side... Uh, uh, Valerie uh, smartly stated that, you know, it's not, not, not even talking about uh, the grappling or the fact that, you know, uh, Alima Lay, you know, especially people like myself picking her, think, okay, she's going to have to make it ugly whether or not she can get the submission. She's going to have to make it an ugly fight. But what uh, I found interesting, Valerie said, is that she gave credit to Alima Lay's composure, and that's something that I picked up on. You know, it's a strength of hers standing, it's a strength of hers on the ground, it's a strength of hers in the fight, uh, that she's not easily rattled. So if this fight isn't going her way, I don't expect her to, to fold, Alima Lay to fold and pack up home uh, if things don't go her way early, which is going to make it a more compelling fight. Yeah, I think it's going to be a good one. I'm excited for that one. Co-main event, Javier Carvalho versus Leota Machida. Great seeing Leota Machida again. Mm. I got to say, first of all, he looked fantastic. And if there was ever a guy that needed to be at a beachside workout, you know, oh it, it was Leota Machida yeah. and his family doing karate. I yeah. mean, it was just oh, such a cool little thing. Cool. The dad, you know, calling out the, the chant, and, yep. and they were doing it. Very, very cool. But you know what? I, I don't know what it is this week. This is the first time I think uh, – I think I'm just getting used to seeing these ex-UFC fighters in Bellator. Like, it used to be odd to me. Like, when they came over, you know, I'm like – oh, this is weird, they're in the new organization, and how are they adapting, and I wonder what their fight week is like, and do they, are they regretting it, are they thinking about it? I don't know, for whatever reason, for me personally, just seeing Lyoto this week, it was just like, it's Lyoto, and I don't know, I'm starting to kind of, the, 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 the differences between the organizations, and where they, I don't know, I mean, I still, obviously the UFC is still the bigger brand, they still mm -hmm. have the bigger shows, there's no question about that, um, but I don't know, seeing these guys kind of float around now, it's, it's not as weird to me anymore. Yeah, but you're right. I I, I can see where you would think that because for a while there it was always and like you said, you know, Bellator was the little brother. Mm -hmm. You know, UFC was out out front just kicking butt. You know, and then there was the little brother picking up the scraps. Right. But 
I think maybe even outside of that, because you're right, I mean, Bellator certainly has done some amazing things, and while they still are second fiddle to what the UFC is doing, they've definitely improved their marketplace. But I think also, too, just the fact of seeing so many fighters leave the UFC and say that they're happy going yeah. elsewhere, mm -hmm. they're making good money. Now you got people leaving to go to one championship. You got people that are leaving and going and making careers. And, you know, PFL, you know, you got the World Series. Well, we used to have the World yeah. Series. I mean, like, it's it's interesting. I think it, 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 it used to be where it was – I just want to fight in the UFC. This is the only place I want to fight. Mm -hmm. The other leagues don't have anything. And you're not hearing that from the fighters anymore, at least to the point where they don't think there's anything else. Right. I mean, I think they're agreeing to the fact that there is money to be made elsewhere. And I think a lot of fighters are they're kind of stopping themselves from saying stuff that maybe they'll regret later. And then, and by a proxy, we're just we're kind of taking it all in as yeah. well. And it's like it's not a big deal now to see fighters leave because – that's you know, it. they've been saying it all the time. Like, hey, I might go look elsewhere. Demetrius I gotta is gone. Do Sage is gone. Like, all these seeing DJ leave, that's, I mean, that's crazy. huge. I mean, that's huge. Sage, I kind of figured eventually would because he's been kind of mm -hmm. teetering on this. Little, I, I would never say mediocrity because the UFC still pumping yeah. him up. But, you know, he wasn't winning the fights that he needed to kind of keep going up. I mean, he was still winning. But, um, yeah, it's – it's just weird. But, yeah, it doesn't surprise me anymore. But it doesn't feel because it's happening all the time. The UFC is still the dominant brand, and I don't see that changing for a while. I mean, it's still the leading organization, and they're just starting to kick off this ESPN deal, which is going to be great for them. Yeah. There's no question. But I do feel like it's a really good time to be a fighter. I mean, as you said, I mean, you've got these options now. People are stepping out, you yeah. know, making good money. And, uh, you know, fighters are flexing a little bit. I mean, look at the fact that, that the UFC had to cancel a another event, yeah. which is crazy. Yeah. I didn't think there was any way they were going to do that. They had to cancel an event. Um, you know, twice admitting defeat in Southern California. How about that yeah. Scott Coker text message? You see that the little, the little, the little gif of the baby running in and like, then running back out. How did you find that? Or let's uh, that like, what words do you search in the gif <laughs> yeah. search box? That was a vicious gif, gif search man. box to find it. Like, yeah. did he say, "Oh, where's that baby <laughs> yeah, true, run yeah. in, then run away"? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. What did he type for that yeah. one? But, but I tell you what, I mean, look, I think I think a big part of that is like, for instance, like Tyron Woodley. I mean, I know Dana's going after Tyron, but Tyron's like, I'm not fighting in January. You know, I'll be ready in March. Yeah. It's, it's like fighters are yeah. a they have more options, and it seems like b they they're starting to recognize their own power to just yeah. say like, dude, I don't have to just say yes to you. You know what I yeah. mean? Like. You know, maybe it behooves you. I mean, when, when when the UFC has favorites, they take care of you. I mean, they put yeah. money in your pocket and they do give the right opportunities. But I think guys are starting to realize, like, listen, even if I'm fighting for the UFC, I don't have to just say yes yeah. Yeah. to everything you offer me. It feels like even though I still don't think unionization is any closer, I just think it's too hard to get everybody on the same page. Yeah, yeah. I do feel like at least fighters are starting to realize, like, hey, Got a little power on my side yeah. too, and oh. there's the fact that there's money. Organizations are putting money, and I think the you know it, it does seem like the stigma of going to another place because they're like people won't think I'm that good. We've seen fighters come from all over these organizations. They're debuting in the UFC, and everybody's like, "Whoa, look at this guy! He's done so That's well." Yeah. And I think a lot of people are like, "Well, where was he? Oh, he was king of the cage, or oh, he was, you know, cage warriors." And they're like, "Well, okay, so if." He was in this organization, and he's good enough to make it. Maybe these other organizations are good. So right. maybe I can go somewhere else, and it's not like, oh, hey, I'm a shitty fighter all of a sudden because the I'm not the I UFC. Yeah. yeah, it's not – I don't think it's like that anymore. And the fact that now that these organizations are paying what these guys need, go for it. I mean, ultimately, right. you only have so many fights – 
that you can have before you either your body gives out or that you're just like, all right, I'm done enough. So if you have an opportunity to make money and it might be another organization, if it feels right to you, make the move. That's it. Nobody's going to care. Like I personally, I don't, if I see a guy and he's like, I fight a king in the cage, I'm happy. I'm making money. I'm supporting my family. I'm happy where I don't care if I ever make it to the UFC. Yeah. I'm not going to doubt him and say, yeah. you're full of shit. I don't, th I think you're lying because I know ultimately you want to be there, but if he's happy, Good for you, it's, dude. It's it's getting over that stigma because I always say, and Dan, you know, you spend a lot of time training and and you know had had fights as we said as well. But, um, you know, I don't think there's anybody in the gym, you know, that's lacing up the gloves, getting ready for practice. And one day, I'm gonna be a Bellator champion. You know, everybody's Very saying true, yeah. I'm gonna be a UFC champion. We're picturing the walkout, you're picturing your walkout for the UFC. For yeah, a title you're getting fight. in the octagon yeah. for the first time. You know, it's it's funny like. We don't ever think about this. We never ask somebody, did you did you get the circular cage jitters tonight in Bellator? You know, when yeah, you made true. your Bellator yeah, debut, yeah. It's, it's always the you know, did you get the octagon jitters in the UFC? So I mean, but I think breaking that stigma, like realize, like you said, I mean, yes, if that's the dream you want to follow, follow it as you should. I'm not trying to take away from the UFC. It is mm -hmm. still the preeminent organization. But if your goal is just to get paid, put money in the bank, make do sure it. that you're set up, yeah. just don't do be it. afraid to do it somewhere Dude, else. I would love to take it. I mean, like Bellator has some fun walkouts. I'm sure maybe there's some fun regional ones. I, I would be interesting to ask some fighters, you know, that have done both, like, which did you appreciate and why? I mean, was it just the, the mm. sheer scale yeah, that yeah. The, the big arena of the UFC made it worthwhile? Because the, the Bellator, their walkouts are like when we like covered it. a couple yeah. of things. With the screen with their and, the, and the promo and videos. And they're by themselves and they're walking down that ramp. That's pretty cool. Yeah. You know? So, I mean, somebody might be like, hey, that's more my style. I kind of like this better. I mean, like, so, yeah. I mean, when you think about it, UFC's it's not a great walkout. I mean, it's cool wow. because of the arena, but all you're, you're you're just walking from the inner bowels of the venue, walking through, and it's just awkward, awkward. And then you see it. Whereas at least like Bellator, you're getting some bells and whistles, right. cool ass screen, maybe some smoke, maybe some flames. It is funny you know? how crappy some of those, those yeah. back of those arenas look. Like they're oh, walking by like the, yeah, the yeah. employee dining hall, oh, like, and then, like yeah. the, tips the over storage a area. <laughs> I mean, at least, at least people, but, like, some people like Bellator and some other ones are trying to put a little pizzazz. Like the UFC, right. there is no. I mean, when you look at them on the on the on the level, all they're doing is dimming down the fucking lights. They're yeah. putting up some music, and then they're having a different camera. They have a follow camera, and you don't have that one. Right. That's the level of what they're putting into the production of the walkout. It's the crowd. It's the arena that pumps it up. Right. That's free right. for the UFC. That they're not true. putting a damn thing into it. But at least Bellator and some of these other ones. That screen that Bellator uses and those oh, ones, yeah, cool yeah, man. Yeah. That is amazing. Yeah. Every time I'm there and I see some of that cool shit and that thing that thing slides up in the middle or does whatever, I'm just like, dude, that's bad. See, I think the UFC purposely didn't do that for a long time because they wanted to make sure they didn't seem pro wrestling esque. And there was a time in my life where I was like, yeah, 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 we're not like pro wrestling. We we need to let the yeah. world know we're not like pro wrestling. We're we're MMA. You know, that's right, that's our right. sport. And so I kind of appreciated it. No, like we walk in this way. But now, like as I've gotten older and I see it, like. I do kind of like, yeah. you know, the, the custom video yeah, package. Yeah. You know, Roy McDonald comes out. There's like some was, Canadian psycho stuff going on. Or yeah, whatever. I guess cool. I always kind of thought it because I, I thought they were like, we don't want to look like pride. We don't want to do whatever. I think it was, and I th well, but maybe, I maybe think it was it more trying to get away from pro wrestling. They, you know, they, did, they wanted to make sure people realized like, yeah. this is not, you know, so they, they adopted what was more like boxing, which boxing has yeah. the more simplistic traditional. I would go big on that walkout. I mean, like, Cause give with the, the USC money that they have for production. Dude, they could do something cool. They could probably have like one of those like, uh, 
what is it when you see like the like you'd see like Snoop or somebody not Snoop but like uh, Tupac. What do you call it? Oh, the hologram. The hologram. Oh, I bet they can have like a hologram somewhere <laughs> doing something cool. You know. Did you get catch the uh, speaking of the, the Coker a little bit of snark there? Did you catch when I asked him about production if he had anything uh, anything special in mind planned? Yeah. And he really made it a point. You guys catch that to really yeah. say it's important for these let these fighters build their brands. True. And he was almost voicing a lot of things that media pundits and fans themselves have been saying. It's almost like he's paying attention that Coker. It's true, man. Yeah. Let him show some personality. All right, uh, real quick, uh, the the welterweight Grand Prix. Yes. Um, Ed Ruth, Dan Tom, I want to ask you because I am super high on Ed Ruth. Um, now, winning this would be hard. There's a lot of big names in there, um, but I'm really high on Ed Ruth. You've 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 seen him so far. You've seen the development. Um, am I right to be that high on the guy, or am I, am I getting the you know am I getting a little ahead of myself? You're not wrong to be high on him, but as far as winning the tournament, because that's the big picture, I almost, you almost forget with these fights. Uh, and, and, you know, maybe perhaps that, that speaks to the scheduling. And, and again, not a negative. Bellator's doing a good job of stacking, so it's easy to forget these things. But yes, they are a part of a tournament. Now, I don't know if I'm ready to say he's going to be the Daniel Cormier of that tournament, right. tournament though he has the skills uh, skill set to do so. But I, I, I am with you, John. Everybody's really interested in watching to see uh, this kid grow, which is the interesting part. Because opposite, we're, we're interested in seeing Neiman Gracie grow, but I think in a different way, right? right. We want We want to see him break that mold. Uh, you know, of course, we we respect. Uh, all the graces and what they do and what they continue to do. Uh, you know, Kenny was just sh- sh- uh, sharing what, you know, Hoist was doing. And, and obviously... Stri- striking training. Yeah, striking training. I mean... <laughs> His sidekick. But, but I, I think I think His we really want to see if Neiman can get out of the show. In three steps. <laughs> three steps, yeah. And maybe Neiman can bust out the sidekick. What if he wins? What's the prop on that if Neiman wins by sidekick, guys? He's like, dude, I've been drilling this with Hoist. It's been amazing, man. <laughs> like a Steven Seagal? <laughs> I was just going to say, where, where, where does Steven Seagal come into the picture? Uh, yeah, listen, I, I am high on Edward. And listen, I, I, I do think maybe you this is too so much too right soon. Now. I'm so high. That's the third time you've said you're so high uh, on Ed Ruth. I, I'm a fan of Ed Ruth. How about that? <laughs> go, I believe he has time. I do think it may be uh, you know, a little bit too much too soon, but I do think he's a person to keep an eye on because yeah. I think they're going to keep developing. Yeah. King Mo and Liam McGeary, uh, you know, big fights for both those guys. They both need wins. Yeah. And then, as we said, the main card kicking off with Nainoa Dung and Kona Oliveira, two very young fighters who, uh, if their fight is not good, keep an eye out in the crowd <laughs> because their camp's – Maybe going at it and, yeah. and make it fun. King Mo had to do some mediating himself that today. That was so fun to do, King Mo. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it was interesting because you could tell that there was history. Because remember, you had even said, like, there's some history sometime between the different Hawaiian yeah. camps. Because some of the words, it wasn't like it was just, like, saying, like, oh, my dude's going to kick your dude's ass. You know, you, I heard one of them, he was like, he gets too emotional. You're too emotional. He gets too emotional. His Bruh. emotions take over. Mm-hmm. I'm just like... Okay, this is somebody that's maybe like studied like his yeah. thing. Like I've seen his fights; he gets emotional. But blah, blah, blah. I was just like, that's not like a typical shit call. Like yeah. he's like, he gets emotional and he, and he you know, have you noticed he drops his guard? He drops his guard in the yeah. third. I, I think I heard real Hawaiian pride, a real Hawaiian attitude, a real Hawaiian stuff. I was just like, oh crap. Okay, oh. now yeah, the dude on the right was thick, man. Yeah, I was, was like, he, he was... put some loco mocos down. And then, and then the <laughs> other dude, I was like, he was probably he. When I saw it playing out in my head, I was like, the dude on the left, he would be really, really moving in and out until but that big guy grabs a hold of him and just slams him. Because Kona's actually the one that trains at Blackhouse, right? Yep. He went to California. House, yep. He trains at Blackhouse, so I guess that's where the real Hawaiian, because you left yeah, and you exactly. went to California, yeah, whereas yeah. Nainoa is like born and raised yep. on the island, yep. and he's yeah. there. So there's going to be some heat. Keep an eye on that one. I know that, I know that, that probably was on many people's radar, but 
We'll put it on. It's it's fun to see. Even when they walked out to take their seats, uh, did you see them like do the stare down each before? Other. Yes. Yeah. 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 I was like, oh shit, it's already started. Like, where's the security? Yeah, it was, like, the it security? was like the very first people that walked down the stage. I was like, it's just lightning shooting between those. It's like two. someone's been watching the UFC uh, super press conferences, huh? Yeah, <laughs> phenomenal stuff. Phenomenal stuff. Yeah. Well, look, it should be a good weekend. But <laughs> before that, I think uh, Cole Coffee, who was anxious to be done, is ready to go get some dinner. I want to go get some food. All right. That or another acai bowl. That was the bomb. That was good, wasn't it? I got the acai bowl extravaganza, and she's like, you know you could add peanut butter to that. Like, I, she just looked at me and was like, this guy looks like he likes peanut butter. Because <laughs> <laughs> it just, it was like on the thing below it. There was the, the item below it had like a bunch of shit and peanut butter. It was like the acai monkey or something. <laughs> and it's funny because I have a friend back home that always called me monkey. Uh, but she was like, oh, the acai extravaganza. She's like, you can add peanut butter to it. And I was I just can? like, oh, oh, fuck yeah, add peanut butter, I'll take it. <laughs> but then I was walking away, I was thinking, I was like, how the fuck she know I want some peanut butter? I was like, do I have that look that she's just like, this big boy, he like peanut butter. He didn't get that way, not getting peanut butter. <laughs> oh my but God. it was a delicious acai bowl. So uh, I could I could fucking have like three more of those. That's not the like, cheapest, That's like that good. Chappelle bit where he's like, he orders the chicken and they're like, sir, as soon as you came in, we knew you were going to order the chicken. <laughs> yeah. You know, you like the chicken. So I guess I'm pegged for peanut butter. <laughs> that's, your, that's your MO. I think I'm going to go get that in the morning again. All right. Well, let's go. Let's go get dinner planned. Dan Tom, I know you got more business to yep, get yep. to. I got more frosty beverages to drink. So we'll say to everybody else, thanks for listening.